He's got a rabbit friend. Follows the rabbit down his hole. Right. I don't know. I didn't like the well, movie that much. Takes place at Halloween. <laughs> oh, jackass. Wasn't that, was that one of my top five? Like that first episode I was on? <clears throat> I thought so. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Johnny Darko firmly in our top fives. Not yeah. in yours, Brett. <laughs> Coffee black. <laughs> Donnie Darko. Uh. Coffee black. Just kidding. What is that one? It's coffee black. I don't I guess I didn't never thought Donnie Darko was in your top five. It's not. It's like four black exploitation flicks and then like <laughs> Blackwork <laughs> Orange. We've got reservoir dogs. Reservoir dogs. Oh, there you go. Natural born killers. Scarface. Pretty good, pretty good top, top five. Scarface would be a fun one to do. And then we just talk about rap music the whole time. <laughs> talk about too many clips to put in a show. <laughs> Scarface would be like the whole movie. You film commentary. <laughs> Welcome back to WTM. Watch this movie. I'm your host, Eric Mulder. So he says, wrecked him, damn near killed him. Got a full house today. To my left, Wolfie T. What's going on? What's up? I'm kicking alive, homie. Kicking the stupid dog moves. Busting it out. This is growing on me. (laughs) I've grown to really enjoy it. I listened to the beginning of the last podcast, and I was like, yeah, I'm starting to like it. (laughs) It's a pretty good movie. It's a pretty good movie. That voice you hear is Mr. Alex Jones. What's going on, dude? Nothing, dude. Why are you so hard on those shooting victims? I'm stupid. You're smart. I was wrong. You were right. You're the best. I'm the worst. Uh, you're very good looking. I'm not attractive. You got two episodes all the way now. Just three more. No. Get rid of that clip. No. You pick out your next one yet? Uh, I had a few in mind, and then I watched Clockwork Orange twice. And I, went, <laughs> I feel like there's someone here, too. <laughs> I got time to decide. And last but not least, Mr. Jason, what's going on? Hey there. Jason's a legend, Jimmy. A legend. Ah, I to cut that one out. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to repeat. Couldn't you edit it out, the last one? I heard the last one. Well, I edited it out, but, well. No, it was in it. Well, that's because we all talked about it. What's that? That's because we talked about it. I didn't oh, want to cut all that out. So you just left I didn't want to cut that comedic gold out. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> to each their own. Stay away from my goal. 
Oh, big one today. Big episode. Heavy hitter. This movie is firmly in at least Jones, Brett, and I's top five movies of all time. Jason? Well, technically, it wasn't in my top five when I we had talked, we about, talked it. about it in an episode, but it is up there. It's a great movie. Classic. That it is. Pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty good. Uh, well, we have a lot to talk about, so let's let's get right into it here. Um, get some details, background, and I've kind of split up the story into three parts. Um, just kind of act one, two, and three. Like we said, for these breakdowns and movie leftovers, you know, we recommend you've seen the movie before you listen to the episode. So you're wondering, well, why did he go through the story if we've already seen it? Well, some people, you know, have just seen Clockwork Orange or whatever movie in the past and don't rewatch it quick before the episode. So then when we go through the story, it's kind of a quick little refresher if you missed a scene or two or something like that. So it's hard to talk about the movie without talking about the story, too. Yeah, pretty much it's keeps us in line somewhat. Hard. Gives us a tiny bit of structure. Do you agree? I concur. Perfect. Indeed. <laughs> Consensus. <laughs> oh, it, I, I should anonymous. also say, in honor of, <laughs> in honor of a Clockwork Orange, we are all drinking milk today. <clears throat> what did yeah, you drug it with, Jones? Sponsored by Dean's today's podcast. <laughs> Dairy Pure Country Fresh. Ooh. Dairy Pure Methanol. No artificial growth hormones. We don't believe in it. <laughs> but we put acid in it. So. Milk Plus. <laughs> Got some knives. Backed by our five point acid purity promise. Do you know these are only 14 sure. ounces? I think you got ripped off. What Super America had? It's not, it's not even a full quart. <laughs> Gluten free. You guys gluten or gluten people? Oh, thank goodness. Good. I I was starting so to react usually gluten in milk? Tons, I hear. That's why they have gluten free on it now. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of wheat. <laughs> a lot of wheat in the milk. <laughs> Did you read the asterisk? I drink whole milk. <laughs> I do. <laughs> no significant Do you difference. chew it? Whole milk? <laughs> it's gotta be thick. That's a little creamier. Did you read that? <laughs> what? Mine's not as big. I got 2%. Ooh. They only had 2% and skim there. Oh, I thought everybody was getting skim, so I, I went with the crowd. You drink a 2% because you think you're fat? Because you're not. You could be drinking whole <laughs> if you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I read the other day that there was some article about pasture, you know, all the milk that we drink is pretty much pasteurized. They're like, oh, that that's actually, we found out that's really bad. Like, shouldn't Wait. have pasteurized milk. I'm like, well, then nobody can drink milk anymore, for fuck's sake. Don't they? Isn't pasteurization just heating it up? What chemicals do they use? I don't know. I don't know the process, but there was some article that was like, you know what? Apparently, we don't know everything about everything when it comes to pasteurized milk. <laughs> I so refuse dumb. to believe that. It's just we some bullshit study everything. that can't be replicated that nobody will remember in two weeks. Yeah. The uh, contradicting study that comes out. Yeah. You know. Kind of similar to another study I saw the other day. It's talking about bottled water. And it said that they took examples of pretty much all the major bottled water companies. Yeah. And they found all these like, chunks of plastic in the water. Like plastic what? particles. Yeah, plastic particles. And some of them weren't even that small. 
I don't know what what you would consider significant, but oh, I don't you know. See it? Yeah, but I'm sure there was some like that size that you could see it. But even more so, there were smaller ones, and they think it's from the bottling process when they seal the top. Mm. But like, yeah, there's pretty dangerous all this plastic particles in your water that you're drinking. I'm like, what, well, Jesus? Oh, how's your spot? Your body's supposed to grow immune to it if you don't introduce <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna build a nice base of plastic in the bottom yeah. of my stomach. Never know. <laughs> well, it's, it's also dangerous because it doesn't have all kinds of fluoride in it to turn <laughs> <Yeah>. you gay. <laughs> <laughs> Make you more complicit, like Mr. Alex here. <laughs> and not our Alex. We're talking about Alex DeLarge today. Yeah. The cool Alex. Well, he's a rapist. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's still a pretty cool guy. It's not his last name. Yeah, in, in the book, it's like they just call him Alex the Large. Not his last name in the movie either. The Large. What do you mean? Last nope. name in the movie. Yeah, it is. Do you pause on the newspaper clippings at the end? His last name is Burgess after the author. But when he signs the Large, so I only know this because I watched the movie with film commentary on. It. <laughs> oh, okay. and Malcolm McDowell was one of two people in the film commentary, mm-hmm. and he said he signed the Large at the prison. He takes credit for like, I just thought of it as like, well, cause he always thinks he's so large. I signed it to large, mm. but it's like, no, in the book, he calls himself Alex, as he say, the large, he refers to himself mm-hmm. as that. But in the it's movie, Burgess. he also says out loud, he calls himself <laughs> Alex to large and they ask him his name. Yeah. yeah. Alex to large, oh, sir. Yeah. The newspapers, they'll call him Burgess. That seems like Maybe something they were referring they to somebody else. in to nod to the, that's the author of the book, right? Burgess. Anthony Burgess. Yep. Yeah. Seems like just kind of an Easter egg for somebody that's paying attention, you know? Yeah. Because he does say the large when he's... When does he say the large? When he's being processed by the uh, at the prison. Oh, okay. When mm-hmm. they're taking all his stuff. I, didn't even think, I, didn't I thought you watched that. this twice. <laughs> no, with film commentary. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell talks the entire time. <laughs> Is the commentary <laughs> Malcolm McDowell now or back then? Now. Okay. Yeah. All right, I'll just that give the deets sense. quick here. A Clockwork Orange from 1971, directed by Stanley Kubrick, written by Stanley Kubrick and Anthony Burgess, who wrote the novel, starring Malcolm McDowell, Patrick McGee, Michael Bates, Warren Clark, uh, Adrian Corey, Carl During, Clive Francis, Aubrey Morris, Godfrey Quigley, Sheila Raynor. In the future, a sadistic gang leader is imprisoned and volunteers for a conduct aversion experiment, but it doesn't go as planned. So, let's get back to Alex DeLarge here. That's a weird thing to think about because when I was watching the movie again, I was like, God, I fucking love Alex DeLarge. He's fucking hilarious. Right? But he's the worst person in the world. He's a rapist. He's a murderer. <laughs> He beats up old, uh, drunken, homeless people. Yep. He's even worse in the book. And I was thinking to myself, you know, he's a, he's a little bit similar to Daniel Plainview from There Will Be Blood in that, like, he's just a fucking awesome character. Like, somebody you, not admire, but like, oh, I love watching him, even though he's a piece of shit. Because I think it's because he's so charismatic and... I mean, he's an iconic character, Alex DeLarge, but definitely charismatic, um, over the top, 
he kind of deals with a lot of pomp and circumstance when he talks and formalities and things like that, how he conducts himself. Yet yep. he's kind of a low life. Well, not kind of, he is a low life, but. Well, he's you know like I mean? an intelligent thug. You could probably thing. consider yeah, both of those characters psychopaths, right? Like yeah. no concern for human life. Pretty much, yep. yeah. Manipulative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why do we like these characters or these anti-heroes? He's I don't na- even know if you can call him an anti-hero. He's a natural leader. I don't think he's an anti-hero. He's no. a natural leader. Uh, you look how he, you know, acts around the droogs. You know, he's, he's above them. He feels like he's above them and they're his underlings. It's minions. So uh, <laughs> people are naturally drawn to leaders, you know, so. I guess I'm a follower then. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you and Dim and Georgie and the other one whose name I forget. Yeah, the other he, one who doesn't really he's just kind of have there. any lines or anything. He's just kind of there and then he's not. His name is Pete, isn't it? Yeah. Pete. Yeah, it's yeah. So I think I think you like him because he he just kind of enjoys everything he does. You know what I mean? <laughs> like everything. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't matter. There isn't really isn't a dull moment for him, it seems like, up until he gets thrown into prison. And even up until the treatment, I mean He's probably being manipulative, but he's enjoying, like, he's trying to get the most out of it. He's trying to find an angle the entire time, like, trying to find a way into the treatment and shit like that. And it isn't until he's kind of, really isn't until he gets home that he's like, well, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Life sucks. I can't choose to be evil. Like, Well, in the first half of the movie, too, he does what he wants when he wants, no matter the, what the consequences might be and uh you know people want to live like that they don't want people telling them what to do you know go mm-hmm. to school no i was gonna sleep in and then i'm gonna go you know commit some crimes some people i'm gonna put my eyelash on and i'm gonna go <laughs> commit crimes <laughs> we'll stay here listen to some ludic van and then uh you know i think both of those characters well both of the actors for those characters had just have really fascinating faces you know it's just fun to watch their facial expressions change and stuff. And the way that they talk, mm-hmm. oh, there's just something about that whole image that they're projecting that makes them really interesting to watch. And Very it, well, animated. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in A Clockwork Orange, there are a lot of characters like that. Like, I feel like Kubrick must have, you know, really paid attention to that and tried to make every scene as visually interesting as possible, just like with the close-ups on their faces and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think it helps, too, that... You know, both Plainview and DeLarge are, you know, or D- Daniel Day-Lewis and Malcolm McDowell give, you know, first-rate performances. Yeah, for sure. Um, and plus, I, I feel, I don't feel as bad liking those characters in that, or at least Alex DeLarge, because what happens every Halloween? You see about a dozen people dressed up as Alex DeLarge, men and women, it don't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of people dress up as him every Halloween. I mean, yeah, you dress up as terrible people in Halloween because they're supposed to be evil or scary, but right. you know, people like him. He's got style. <laughs> I mean, he's got his bowler's yeah. hat on. <laughs> well, I mean, he's violent, but he's not like a scary violent person because like he's dancing and singing and laughing the whole time. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's just fun to him. It's not like he's a scary evil person. He's, you know, a guy you'd want to hang out with who just happens to do evil things. Well, he, he's he got confidence 
out the ass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rolling up on those two girls in the record store, <laughs> licking their lollipop within a minute, talking to them. Dick <laughs> like, pops. You admire that about them. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just the fantasy of it, maybe. You're like, I wish I could be him, but without the murder and the rape. <laughs> like, I'd be him, and then I just wouldn't do that. <laughs> I want to have a drawer full of snakes and money and watches. Of <laughs> Ludwig Van and Hi-Fi. This car's pretty sick, too, that Durango 95. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. I knew didn't, about that car before I knew about the movie. Didn't look comfortable for the uh, the Droogs, though, in the past <laughs> They're all about to fall out. <laughs> that was not a four-person car. <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh, get into the first act here. So I'll read that, and then we'll say some stuff, and then I'll read the second act, and we'll say some stuff, and then we'll do that same thing for the third act. Wrap it up. And then we'll be done. <laughs> In futuristic Britain, Alex Delarge is the leader of his droogs, Georgie, Dim, and Pete. One night after getting intoxicated in a drug-laden milk plus, they engage in an evening of ultraviolence, which includes a fight with a rival gang. They drive to the country home of writer F. Alexander and beat him to the point of crippling him for life. Alex then rapes his wife while singing Singing in the Rain. Uh, the next day, Alex is approached by his probation officer, Mr. P.R. Deltoid, who is aware of Alex's activities and cautions him against them. Alex's droogs express discontent with petty crimes and want more equality and high-yield thefts. But Alex asserts his authority by attacking them. Later, Alex invades the home of a wealthy cat lady and bludgeons her to death with a phallic sculpture while his droogs remain outside. On hearing sirens, Alex tries to flee, but Dim smashes a bottle on his face, stunning him and leaving him to be arrested by the police. With Alex in custody, Mr. Deltoy gloats that the woman he attacked died, making Alex a murderer. He is sentenced to 14 years in prison. Dun, dun, dun. Kind of a light sentence for a future, you'd think. How much did he get again? 14. 14 Well, years. okay, so I want to oh. know more about this world that this is taking place in, because, you know, they run into another gang. That gang, they're all dressed up, you know, similar to each other in the same way that these droogs are. Is that the same gang that was in the milk bar at the beginning? Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't notice. Might Watching it again, when the, it's the long shot with the droogs at the end of the room. Mm-hmm. If you look to on the right side of the screen, um, there's four or five guys sitting on another couch. You know, so you the camera shows you the left side profile, mm-hmm. and they're wearing like one of them has a Nazi helmet because you can. It's a German war helmet with the swastika. And I couldn't tell if another one had like the cap, like the guy does in the fight scene shortly mm, thereafter. Yeah, like the beret <laughs> kind of thing. So I thought maybe they uh, <clears throat> were at the same bar and then they kind of followed him. Maybe. Where they were going. I'm just wondering how many gangs like that there are roaming around, you know? Maybe he only got 14 years because society is just full of these, you know, young gangs running around causing trouble. It seems like, like they it's are the full new of norm. Them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, that's kind of the the idea, right? That the future is just grim chaos everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, when he comes back to his apartment the one time, like the lobby is just trashed and the elevator is, the door's basically ripped off and he's just like, man, just keeps going. Like there's nobody around. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And he's also in high school. So maybe he got light sentence because he's not an adult. 
Mm-hmm. Possibly. Speaking of the milk bar, let's I mean, we got to introduce the main character here. Let's let him speak for himself. There was me. That is Alex, and my three droogs. That is Pete, Georgie, and Dim. And we sat in the Corova milk bar, trying to make up our Razudocs what to do with the evening. The Corova milk bar sold Milk Plus, Milk Plus Velocet, or Centimesque, or Drencrum, which is what we were drinking. This would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the old ultraviolence. Yeah, he's uh, staring into the camera when he says that. With a menacing look on his face. Kind of so I kind of get the feeling that it's breaking the fourth wall a little bit. I mean, he's narrating, which is kind of right. breaking the fourth wall anyways. Mm-hmm. He's looking directly in the camera, kind of talking to the audience pretty much. The book is written uh, the same way too, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was going to... Like he, he says, you're faithful narrator. Mm-hmm. Like in every... I don't know if it's every section or chapter, but he, like, the first sentence is, like, talking to the reader each time, hmm. which is kind of cool, so. So, so I watched, uh, earlier today, I watched a, like, making of documentary that was a special feature on my DVD, and they said, uh, Stanley Kubrick had Anthony Burgess write a screenplay, and he hated it so much, he just threw it away, <laughs> and then he would, he took the book, and every time they set up a scene, he would just have the book and say, Let's make it as close to the book as possible. So it basically just follows the book exactly for most of it. Yeah. I was gonna, I was because gonna, he didn't really have a script. He's just like, we'll just do it as the book has it. And I read the same thing that he carried around the book with him everywhere on set. Yeah. Um, and I usually have a rule where I don't read the book after I've seen the movie because it ruins the book. Like I just picture mm-hmm. the actors and shit like that in there. When I read this, like it was it follows so close to the movie that it was still enjoyable, but yeah, he sticks to it pretty close. Um, with the exception of the final chapter, which I don't know if you guys read about. Yeah. But in the book, so when the book was released in 62, uh, when it was released in England, there's 21 chapters, but they released in the U S with only 20 chapters. And Kubrick made the movie off of the 20 chapter book, which ends how the film ends with him, like saying I'm cured. And you think he just goes back to his old ways, but in the actual Burgess release or whatever in England, the final chapter is him having gone back to his old ways, started a new gang, but then he runs into Pete runs into one of the old droogs. I think it's Pete and he's like a family man. And then Alex starts to envision like, eh, maybe I want to give up this life and become a family man. But the publishers in the U S said that, uh, that's, that's too clean cut and like happy ending for the U S. So they, they said they would rather just have the 20 chapters. Yeah. yeah some I of the, something like, sorry, no, that's fine. Uh, I was just, <laughs> just going to say some of the fun facts I read were kind of contradictory. There were some people who thought, yeah, Kubrick did the movie without knowing that there was a 21st chapter. He never read it, is yeah. what I had heard. Is he, he read the U.S. version, and then he was he didn't want to read the 21st chapter. He was good with it. I think, yeah, they or he found out about the 21st chapter or something like that, like right at the end of filming. And it was like, well, I'm not, I'm not changing this. Yeah. I'm not changing the ending. Because that's what he wanted. It was perfect ending for his film. Well, in that special feature I watched, they said... 
somebody gave him the book while he was doing 2001. And uh, he said, this sucks. Nobody's ever going to buy this because it was like the language they use was like too inaccessible. Mm-hmm. And then after like some of these other like teenage rebel movies started being made, he's like, well, fuck it. I'll just make one that's better. Let's get that clockwork orange up in here. Let's do that one. <laughs> and then uh, because he was doing it off the book instead of off the script, he ended up using all the dialogue that was in there anyways. Uh, yeah, the dialogue. Uh, the stuff that he thought wasn't going to sell, and he ended up using it anyways. So. Yeah. But I, they didn't say anything about the different versions, whether it was the U.S. version or the U.K. version. Well, the, the author had, Burgess said that he specifically made it 21 chapters because 21 symbolizes youth. And I don't know what his basis was. I tried to search around. I couldn't really find anything. But so the three sections are divided seven chapters each. So it like bugged him, but he was like, whatever type thing that the U.S. publishers wanted to cut a chapter. Mm. He's just kind of like, he didn't give a shit. And he was like, I guess whatever. There's a whole foreword in the book I have where Burgess talks like, Kubrick made the film and it's great. The film's amazing and all, but like, it wasn't my best work and he admitted a chapter. Like you could tell he's kind of like, eh, kind of bothered, but whatever. Like he's over it type thing. Mm-hmm. But hmm. I don't know if you, I'm sure he got paid pretty well. <clears throat> Are you going to say something about the book? Oh, uh, I thought I read that like the, the publishers in the UK kind of made Burgess make like a happy ending. Like, but he originally wanted to end it the way the movie ends. But maybe, oh, maybe I read that wrong or something. Yeah, I guess I had read that he made the the twenty one, but mm. who knows? He also wrote the book partly on. Uh, his wife was raped before, so it mildly inspired like some of the violence in the book. It's not directly related, but apparently I didn't look into it any further, but. He had a brain tumor at the time, and so he cranked out like five books, just trying to write books and release them because he mm. thought he was going to die because of his tumor, and this was one of his books. That's why he says, like, it's it's not my best work. That's why it's like it's ironic that that's what everybody remembers me for, mm. even though all these other books are way better than that. But mm. it's kind of interesting. I wonder how much of him was in that character of the writer whose wife gets raped. Yeah, yeah. And that's how it's mentioned in the book too, like the singing in the rain scene. It's not obviously it's not singing in the rain, but Alex picks up the writer's book and he's writing a Clockwork Orange. In the no book. way! Huh. And he's reading excerpts to the to the wife and the author as they start to like get ready to rape her. That's what he's reading. He's reading out of a Clockwork Orange as he does it. So that's, that's so how weird. it. That's why so the book was named. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Soup's meta. Yeah, what do you I was trying to figure out what the hell is in the milk. It's milk plus. They give a like three options, three different drugs. And the last one he says is a drenkrum, which is what we were drinking. Drenkrum. And the only thing I could think of was adrenochrome. Is there yeah. adrenochrome? They talk yeah. about that in Fear and Loathing. Fear and right? Loathing in Las yeah. Vegas. Yeah. And I mean on the wall, it's spelled chrome is C-R-O-M. But I mean, the spellings could be a little off, you know, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. it's different, maybe just to be different, but I'm guessing that's what he was talking about. Drenkrum, which should yeah. be kind of liquid from an actual adrenal gland, at least in fear and loathing, they hadn't synthesized. I don't know if they synthesized adrenaline now, or do you still need this 
Is it, it, is it just a type of adrenaline? Was adrenochrome even a real thing? I well, it was maybe kind of like a, for the movie. Kind of like a legend, I guess, or maybe a myth. Yeah. Nobody really knew if it was real or not. Yeah. I think. I'm sure somebody got their hands on it somehow, but hmm. it's still kind of unlikely. But yeah. For the Veloset, that sounds a lot like Percocet. Mm-hmm. Right? Was that around in the 70s? Uh, isn't there a part where they mention methamilk too? Methamilk. I don't remember. Uh, I'm saying that at some point. I don't know. But yeah, you might be trying to say that they're putting some adrenaline in the milk that they're drinking. Sure. Yeah. It'll sharpen you up real good. Get you ready for some of that ultraviolence. Mm. There's a little bit of a confrontation while a rival gang is out there just trying to rape a girl. And Alex ain't having it, because that's his girl to rape, apparently. This is after they beat up that old man who was drunk off his ass. Can you spare some cutter, <laughs> me brothers? <laughs> There's no more attention paid to law and order. <laughs> oh, and what's so stinking about it? <laughs> right, here's the confrontation. Well, if it isn't fat, stinking, Billy Goat, Billy Boy in poison. How are thou? Thou globby bottle of cheap, stinking chip oil! Come and get one in the yarbles! If you have any yarbles, you eunuch jelly thou! Oh, poetry. Pure <laughs> <Yep>. poetry. <laughs> I love how he calls him like a, what does he say, Billy something, like he's a Billy Goat under the bridge. And then, uh... If you have any... Notes. He calls him Billy Boy. Yeah, I feel like he's alluding to like Billy, Billy Goat's Gruff, you know, maybe. I think his name is Billy Boy. Yeah. Oh, that's his name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't choose that as your gang right. name, <laughs> Billy Boy and his droogs. What does he say after that? It's like I don't know. Everything he says is something about yarbles, and if you have any yarbles. Yeah, you eunuch. Jelly thou? Yeah, jelly thou. I'm like, <laughs> <Yeah>. jelly thou. <laughs> jelly, like, you know, you're weak and Well, he's a eunuch means you have Oh, he, he calls him a yeah. Billy Boy in Poison or whatever. In Poison, I assume means he's drunk. drunk I thought he was talking about Brett Michaels in the band. <laughs> <laughs> that could be. Oh, yes. <laughs> Did you see the Wiktionary page that breaks down all the vocab? Oh, no. Oh, really? That out. Oh. I heard uh, if you have it if, if you have it open, you have a bunch of words. Give us the meanings. So eunuch jelly is gutless coward. Okay, that's what that stands. For. Well, I mean, you know, what a eunuch is right. Yes, Brett. Just I feel, like, I feel bit like I'm having deja vu. <laughs> what? That's right. Sometimes we talk over each other. Droog means friend. When you when you listen to the episode, <laughs> you'll you'll get it. Okay. <laughs> That fight was pretty sick. There's like old school, late 90s WWF street fight. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it back to wrestling. <laughs> they were breaking chairs over each other, jumping off the, the balcony, going through tables. I thought all the violence in here was pretty realistic. In the demonstration, the guy slaps Alec really fucking hard, it seems like. Yeah. And when he's uh, they attack the writer and his wife, he slaps her. And it mm. seems like he really slaps her really fucking hard. Uh, and Malcolm, like kicking the, the writer on the ground. Mm-hmm. Malcolm McDowell talked about how 
when during the treatment scene when he gets kicked or knocked over and then the guy stomps on his ribs that actually mm-hmm. busted like a blood vessel or something under his ribs like he was in pain well yeah they, he, he's I like read a, that he cracked a rib and then a rib, yeah. and he got a blood clot as a result of that and he had to go back to the hospital a second time and he scratched a cornea during the yeah. one because it was like yeah. physically starts moving a lot or whatever, you know, because it's fucking uncomfortable. Well, he did it like 30 <laughs> times <Right>. too. <laughs> <laughs> and he shows like when they do the cutaways and stuff on the one, he's like the last shot of me with the thing on. He's like, that was one of the last scenes shot for the film. And the other ones were earlier. And he goes, if you look. I look much older and you do like, if you pay attention, it's like, yeah, he fucking looks old as shit. <laughs> that last one. But the teeth, the truant's officer grabs the shit out of his nuts too. <laughs> well, he, he grabs the, when he was in the, the police station after he kills the cat lady, he grabs that guy's balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He gets spit on constantly. Oh man. I was going to ask you, have you seen if you've seen if haven't you? I haven't. Oh, I thought you. All right, never mind. I, had, Kubrick, I think had, I'd rent it from the library, and then I can't remember. You borrowed, yeah, I haven't you seen borrowed it. Because Kubrick said that Did I say he, rented it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, we all knew what you, I just wanted to correct you. Because <laughs> Kubrick said he picked McDowell because of his performance in If. Yep, I thought you had oh, seen yeah. If. I've never seen it. I remember him saying that, but yeah. I haven't seen it. Oh. Do you know that Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones were supposed to be Alex and the Droogs? <laughs> that would be such a weird been. movie. <laughs> so weird. That was before Kubrick signed on, and then <laughs> then he's like, Malcolm McDowell or I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Malcolm McDowell thinks his shit doesn't stink. <laughs> he really does. Uh, <laughs> the film commentary, he is just talking himself up the entire time. <laughs> like, I was getting annoyed towards the end. I was like, I just want the movie to fuck man. <laughs> he was pretty much but he might himself. say a fun fact. Yeah, he was just like talking how great he was. And like Nick Redman or I forget what the film historian that's talking. He's like, yeah, I heard that Kubrick wouldn't have done the movie without you. He goes, yeah, yeah, it's true. It's like fucking Jesus. Like <laughs> no humility. I've read about a lot of stories like that. People saying Malcolm McDowell's kind of hard to work with. You know, obviously thinks highly of himself. I think that's maybe he wasn't in that many American films. And you think about it, he hasn't yeah. been in much until more recently when he's taken r- random roles in sometimes really shitty movies. Yeah, I watched Halloween a, too. I watched a movie. 31. I watched a movie with him. Uh, it was like Lady Psycho Killer or something. And it was one of the worst movies I've seen. It was him <laughs> and Michael Madsen were in there. I'm like, this can't be that bad, can it? And it, it was. <laughs> He played the perverted neighbor who is always like jerking off in his yard at the the young girl next door. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> he's the principal in Easy A. It's pretty good in there. Oh yeah, yeah. Just random, yeah. But yeah, uh, that that special feature I watched. Uh, some guys like, well, he was so good in Clock Records. He's just played Alex DeLarge in every other thing he's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> He's never played a different character in his whole life. You want to finish the words, the definitions you got there? Oh, there's a shitload. Well, how about Viddy? Viddy on there? Viddy means see. Okay. Because I don't know if it meant like see or watch or look at. I mean, those are all kind of the same things, but. Yeah. I mean, he uses it 
several times in the movie and it seems like for slightly different inflections, I guess. Yeah. I guess I took it the same. See your watch or mm-hmm. yeah. look type yeah. thing. Is this Vidi well, Vidi well. Mm-hmm. It's like, watch it well. <clears throat> you're you're weird. It's a versatile <laughs> word. <laughs> Does it talk at all about where this stuff came from? Uh, so the language was called NADSAT, called NADSAT words. And I forget where I, I don't know if it was in a special feature or not, but Burgess said he wanted to create his own language because he wanted the book to kind of transcend time. So none of the phrasing got old because it's fucking made up. So it's all yeah. new and stuff. Which I thought was actually pretty cool. I mean, it makes sense. Reading the book a couple months ago, it's like, obviously nothing's old because it's all weird. You got to learn it. But you mentioned the, was it Cockney rhymes? Yeah. So it's partly that mixed with um, English meanings and then like Russian origin as yeah, well. Yeah, I read something about Russian slang too. Yeah. So, like, in the content, like, they have, I don't know how many words in this list, but they have the NADSET word, the English word, and then the word origin, and a bunch of the word origins are from uh, Russian words or hmm. phrases, too, so. Weird. Yeah. Okay, in that conversation, he's telling Billy Boy, you know, asking if he has, you know, if you have any yarbles, so yarbles seems like balls to me. Yeah. When he's talking That's, to the yep. women in the record store, what do you play your fuzzy warbles on at home? Like warbles? So what's warbles different than yarbles? Is it like a female version? Because it seems like you use warbles a couple different times. And like a warbles Again. doesn't seem like it would mean a record. So, so that you- is, according to this list, so I, who knows who created it, but warbles, so fuzzy means scratch, scratchy, and then warbles means songs or recordings. And it's from the English word warble to sing. Okay. As in the birds known as warblers. Yeah. So your your scratchy songs. I guess that makes sense if that's where it originates from. Fuzzy warbles. Fuzzy warbles. I'm going to start using that. (laughs) I totally thought it meant vagina. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Your scratchy vagina. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) I think we need to bring some of this slang back. No kidding. Well, I guess it never was, <laughs> but it can make it happen. Yeah, you want to talk a little bit about the uh, differences in the book in terms of the women he meets at the record shop? Uh, yeah, so in the in the book, he's 15 years old, and then um, the girls he meets in the record shop are 10, I believe. And the interaction is somewhat similar, except that he drugs them. So it's not consensual. He has kind of the back and forth with them a little bit. But I forget at what point he drugs them, um, gives them a drink, drugs them, and then rapes them, essentially. Because even in the movie, it's a very fast-paced, everything's consensual, fun, whatever. Um, in the book, they have sex, and then I believe he takes the girl again and has sex with her, and they kind of highlight, like, how oh, she didn't want to at that point, but he still made her type thing. So it's much darker, not as upbeat. So... Yeah, because it seems like he's about 17 or 18 in the movie versus 15 in the book. Seems older in the movie. And the women are his age in the movie, it looks like. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's weird, 15 and 10. Yeah. I mean, it's funny thinking about, uh, like, once about a time in the West, or not, I know, um, A Million Ways to Die in the West, 
<laughs> she's she's trying, married. She's talking about she needs to get married. She's 15. You know, I don't want to be one of those, you know, 18 year old spinsters. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, back in the day, it was you better get fucking married by the time you're 13, 14, start pushing out some kids because you're only going to live till you're 25, you know? And like, I don't know at which point where it became unacceptable for I'm not just talking about 10 year old, like even like 15. That's, I mean, 15 right now seems way too young for anything, even if they were both, you know, kind of 15. Mm-hmm. But like when you wrote this in 62, I wonder if it was like a 50, if a 15 and a 10 year old were together, like they would be, it would be looked down upon, but maybe not as much, maybe not even rape. Just like, oh, those dumb kids are, you know, getting into mischief. But how old is doing 15? child things? How old is 15 really? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see that Chappelle show stand up or Dave Chappelle stand up I don't remember that where he's talking about the the 15 year old girl who got kidnapped and then escaped and got home versus the 15 year old that R. Kelly peed on and like if you're old enough to escape your kidnappers you're old enough to get peed on <laughs> <laughs> Jesus <laughs> reminds Age me of just uh, a number yeah, well, <laughs> don't agree with that. Uh, <laughs> one flew over the cuckoo's nest. You know, he's talking to the the doctor in his office, and he goes, "You know, doc, she was fifteen going on 30. <laughs> but, I think we can all agree that ten is probably too young for any of it. Oh yeah, let's meet. You guys want to meet Mister Deltoid? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hi, 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 Mr. Deltoid. Funny surprise seeing you here. Ah, uh, Alec, boy, awake at last, yes? I met your mother on the way to work, yes? She gave me the key. She says something about a pain somewhere, hence not at school, yes? A rather intolerable pain in the head, brother, sir. I think it should be clear by this after lunch. Oh, or certainly by this evening, yes. The evening's the great time, isn't it, Alex boy? Cup of the old chai, sir? No time, no time, yes. Sit, sit, sit. What do I owe this extreme pleasure, sir? Anything wrong, sir? Wrong? Why should you think of anything being wrong? Have you been doing something you shouldn't, yes? Just a manner of speech, sir. Yes, but it's just a manner of speech from your post-corrective advisor to you that you watch out, little Alex, because next time it's not going to be the corrective school anymore. Next time it's going to be the body place and all my work ruined. If you've no respect for your horrible self, you at least might have some for me who've sweated over you. A big black mark, I tell you, for everyone we don't reclaim. A confession of failure for every one of you who ends up in the stripy hole. I've been doing nothing I shouldn't, sir. The militants have nothing on me, brother. Sir, I mean. 
Cut out this clever talk about Millicent just because the police haven't picked you up lately. Doesn't, as you very well know, mean that you've not been up to some nastiness. There was a bit of a nastiness last night, yes? Some very extreme nastiness, yes? A few of a certain Billy Boy's friends were ambulanced off late, yes? Your name was mentioned. The words got through to me by the usual channel. Certain friends of yours were named also. Oh, nobody can prove anything about anybody, as usual. And I'm warning you little Alex, being a good friend to you as always, the one man in this sore and sick community who wants to save you from yourself. <laughs> what gets into all? We study the problem. We've been studying it for damn well near a century, yes, but we get no farther with our studies. You've got a good home here, good loving parents. You've got not too bad of a brain. Is it some devil that crawls inside of you? Nobody's got anything on me, brother, sir. I've been out of the Rukas of the Millicents for a long time now. And that's just what worries me a bit too long to be safe. You're about due now by my reckoning. That's why I'm warning you, little Alex, to keep your handsome young proboscis out of the dirt. Do I make myself clear? As an unmudded lake, sir. As clear as an azure sky of deepest summer. You can rely on me, sir. I still haven't quite figured out who the fuck this guy is. Because online, in the synopsis, they call him like a probation officer. This deltoid guy. But he, he says something about being a representative from the school. He's like a truancy officer. Yeah. Almost like a counselor, somewhat. Representative. School probation officer. I don't know. Because he's a, he said like it won't be the corrective school next time. Yeah, so he must be in a corrective school currently because he's. Yeah. If he ever no, shows he's up. Isn't. If he ever shows up. I'm sure school. the corrective school truancy officers are a little rougher than public school it's probably why he showed up at alex's parents house and decided Mm -hmm. to molest him right there (laughs) that was weird he grabs him over the shoulder and pulls him back on the bed yeah (laughs) alex tries to fight it but he can (laughs) and can we we glossed over the fact that alex is just digging into his ass (laughs) he comes out of that bedroom (laughs) and his skivvies is like take it easy (laughs) you need to take a shower I like how he had a combination <laughs> lock on his bedroom door, so yeah, that was funny. Can get in there. No, yeah. So then he punches slash grabs him in the dick. Well, Alex is like covering up, like he's anticipating it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what this guy does. <laughs> like I've seen this movie before. I I know where this is going. Yeah, that whole scene is so bizarre. Like when he walks in and sees Mister Deltoid, he doesn't even flinch. Just wearing tidy whities you know, He presents like, himself. Yeah. <laughs> Crosses his legs. Shows he's like confident he is. His own <laughs> yeah. well, he does like a double take. Like, what he, the fuck is going on in the seat? He walks by the door and then he like backs up and he's like, oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say in the book, he that character says yes. like several, <laughs> And I was like, fucking sweet. <laughs> like, I'm so glad that that's how the book is. Did they stretch it out with like 10 E's in there? <laughs> I can't remember, but you certainly read it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I thought, I kind of got the feeling that 
they're trying to show some sort of corruption at what seems to be all levels of society because he seems like a corrupt school official. He got the corrupt. Wait, what's what seems corrupt about him? Uh, the fact that he's grabbing the kid in the dick. Oh, sure. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and while he's in his underwear. <laughs> well, he's drinking the uh, the water out of the kid's parents' uh, denture <laughs> class. But who left their dentures there and went out? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, this is a real yeah, mystery. I was thinking that. It was in the middle of the day. They both went to work. Yeah. The, Grady, a, the spare set of dentures. Unless they have their day dentures and their night dentures. <laughs> yeah. These are my going out teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Got to leave the dinner dentures at home. Yep. Or, or maybe mom doesn't bring her, her dentures to work because she needs the gums. Yeah, she needs to gum it at work maybe. maybe <laughs> what does she do at work? I don't know. He said have a good day at the factory. So, oh, Maybe it's know. a blowjob factory. Oh, <laughs> the dick factory. <laughs> she had about, I, I think it was the dad's side of the bed because she had her wigs on the windowsill on the other side of the room. Mm-hmm. Very colorful. The yeah. mom looks like the waitress in after Alex beats the shit out of the droogs. Yeah. And tosses him in the river and then they go to the restaurant. Then he's going to be nice to them because the waitress that oh. comes through looks, I didn't compare him, but it looks damn near the same as the mom. It's not the mom. But they like got the, the same hair color, hair, yeah. the outfit, mm-hmm. everything almost, obviously that's the style, but no, yeah. you know, the mom reminded me of. You remember those old Duracell commercials with like the plastic people, really bright colors? Uh-uh. They have like, giant I, I do, batteries yeah. in their back, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know. Just the bright colored hair and like, she looked very artificial somehow, cartoonish. you know? Yeah. A lot of the characters seemed very cartoonish. Yeah. Yeah. But It's uh, so like I said, there's, we got, we got a corrupt school official. There's obviously corrupt cops and i guess prison officials because mm-hmm. even if you don't want to say the cops initially are corrupt uh georgie and dim become cops later and they're obviously corrupt well the cops are corrupt. they beat the shit out of alex i mean yeah let's yeah. say he doesn't deserve it but it still is cops beating the shit out of a kid because he's not 18 the government so. initiates the program yep as you can say they're corrupt and Society in general kind of seems like it's, I mean, obviously there's a lot of violence. It seems like that's a, it's a problem in that current society, but it seems like it's also a very sexualized culture at the bar. It's just naked women everywhere. I mean, that's not real naked women. There are sculptures and whatnot, but every place you go in this movie, there's naked artwork on the wall. Some of it more lewd yeah. than others. Yeah, and it's not just you know in Alex's bedroom either. It's at the Catwoman's home, and it's at uh, one of the other couples' homes. And it seems like Alex is almost like a product of his society, and that it's all corrupt and over-sexualized, and maybe he's a a product of that failed system. Seems like everybody is very desensitized. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they're allowing a drug bar because the milk. It's not like Alex and them brought the drugs in. Mm. Like the bar, that's what they serve is spiked milk (laughs) and then there's sex everywhere. And, uh, the homeless dude does make reference to, I get it's like 70, 71. So it's like the space race type thing. So he makes reference to like, we already won the space race. Men are on 69. (laughs) 
but it's like men are on the moon and flying around. Like he, he, he kind of alludes to like this, you know, trying to leave the planet and stuff like that. Focus on that, but everything's going to hell on earth almost. So I don't know. It is, seems like as everything. Oh, and what's so stinking about it? It seems like as everything goes to shit, everybody's just trying to feel good in a way. mm -hmm. Drugs and sex and trying to escape the planet almost. But, yeah. Is that a a nod at uh, Kubrick filming the moon landing? Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. This, The Shining. Fucking Danny sweatshirt. <laughs> in 2001, he, he does a shout out in the record store in 2001. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right yeah. up front. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And actually the album right next to the 2001 album, I forget which album that is, but a song on that album is what Hal 9000 um, says when uh, he's deprogrammed or oh. deleted. Because he starts singing lyrics to his song. Oh, Dave, don't Dave stop. (laughs) 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 And then like, it's almost like different, almost like different wires are firing off. Mm -hmm. It's like signs, right? Yeah. (laughs) When he's talking to his wife, who's about to die. She starts shouting out random stuff because it's different memory. (laughs) Different memories are firing off in her brain. I'm going to need a ride home. Uh, all right. Well, you want to get back to let's get into Act Two. Did we did we cover all the stuff that he did the night before Deltoid showed up? Like they went to the casino, they played Hogs of the Road, and then yep. and then they they went for the old surprise visit. What's a casino? Huh? Casino? The Derelict Casino with Billy Boy. Was that a casino? Well, he called it the Derelict Casino. It was like a theater. Oh, okay. All right. I was just confused. Yeah, I guess we did kind of gloss over singing in the rain. Yeah, the old surprise visit. They, uh, you know, sneak up to the house, knock on the door. It's been a terrible accident. My friend is bleeding in the middle of the road. I have to use your telephone. Yep. And uh, they, uh, we don't have a telephone. Goodbye. <laughs> 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 well, that little husband is like, I suppose you better let him in then. Wife's like this motherfucker. Wasn't everybody in? <laughs> he first puts a sign at the end of the driveway that just says "home." <laughs> now he's just like, "Come on in." Uh, how about the chair she's hanging out in? Those should have become that, that, that cool. should have become yeah. a thing. That is quite the design on that house too. It's a very stereotypical future oh. thing where it looks super uncomfortable and not reasonable yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah, not practical whatsoever. But it's like fucking sweet. <laughs> yeah. You could even close the egg. Like yeah. that was cool. Yeah, reminded me of one of the, like an isolation chamber. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and yeah, the architecture on that house it totally looked like modern, just like a modern, you know. Yeah. Minimalist architecture. Mm-hmm. I want those stairs. Levels. <laughs> I need levels. It's like Seinfeld and Kramer wants multiple levels in his apartment. <laughs> He's going to get rid of all his furniture and then just put levels. <laughs> <laughs> or the jerk when uh, Navin Johnson thinks his new apartment is going to be in that bathroom in the gas station. He's like, this is perfect. What we'll have is I'll make a second level. We get like a split level effect. To give it the, you know, 
the illusion of two rooms, but <laughs> really it's just another level. <laughs> yeah, it makes everything look a lot bigger when you have multiple levels. Yeah. So apparently it took them three days to film the rape scene. Mm. Is that a fun fact? That was, what, uh, <laughs> that was what they said on that documentary that I watched. Okay. Uh, and it's uh, and they didn't start doing the singing in the rain stuff till like the third day because they were like doing it the same way over and over again and it didn't work, didn't work. And then they're like, well, could you sing a song? They're like, well, I only know one song, so did singing in the rain. Yeah. yeah. Does does he sing in the book at all? No. Uh, he loves Beethoven. Well, he loves more than Beethoven in the book. He he talks about other composers and orchestras and stuff like that but he reads from the author's book during this scene so that the, there's no he doesn't do any singing so they might have that's tried. how they tied at the it's similar tie back though like at the end of the movie he's singing that's how the author remembers him in the book yeah. he when he gets back to the house he remember <clears throat> alex says something to the author about that book and the author then remembers because he either didn't publish it or he didn't publish whatever excerpts that Alex talks about. Then he realizes, oh shit, that's the guy from before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So similar connection, but he doesn't sing. And they're wearing masks, so you know, can't yeah. can't really see who they are. They might have filmed it that way, where he's reading the book, and then it just didn't Maybe. work on film. Because yeah. like, like I, we I mentioned earlier, they were you just took the book and like, oh, well, let's film it. You know how the book is and. Yeah, and he, uh, I read the same thing, that they were like, Kubrick found it dull, like, the rape scene was just, it wasn't good enough type thing like that, which <laughs> is how we spice say, this like, rape up yeah. a little bit. <laughs> and then McDowell was the one who kind of gave the idea for Singing yeah. in the Rain. So it was McDowell, you know, he's just got to give all the credits himself. <laughs> <laughs> the film commentary, I was like, I don't know how much of this is true or not. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked a little bit about, uh, the infighting within the droogs, uh, mainly uh, after, well, because after they rape uh, the woman, beat up the writer, they go back to a milk bar, yeah. and a woman starts singing Ludwig uh, Van. I like the quote that he says uh, in narration when they go back to the bar. He says, we were all feeling a bit shagged and fagged and fashed, it being an evening of some small energy expenditure. Oh, my brothers. <laughs> I can just a linguist, this guy. <laughs> Seriously. He would be exa- that's why they're getting tired of him. It's like you are exhausting to talk to. <laughs> yeah. Dim doesn't understand half we don't of what even he says. Understand yeah. you. Dim just repeats you. <laughs> just a, a small energy expenditure. You know, just, mm-hmm. just got in a street fight, you know, beat up an old dude, drove, you know, played some road chicken, and then we, we raped a guy. Drove the Lambo. <laughs> yeah, so ladies singing Lugwood Van. And uh, Dim was like, what does he give like a fart noise? It, <laughs> <laughs> he's so, like that. <laughs> so then, of course, Alex, you know, smacks him right in the dick with his cane. And Dim was like, it was like his world is just crushed. Like, <laughs> I, don't think I like what you did. Like a dog. Like, why did you do that to me? Great bullshit. Your blockos to you. <laughs> you just can't fathom like violence being done to himself. Alex is almost dumbfounded that he's like, are you kidding me? (laughs) This This is is what we do. This is your limit. (laughs) Did it because you're a bastard with no manners. 
So he puts them back in the line, but uh, they go to the cat lady's house, and yeah, he sneaks in after another uh, failed attempt this time. But the it was the same ruse of we have an, there's an accident, my yeah. friends bleeding in the middle of the road. So Alex sneaks in through an upstairs window, ends up confronting the cat lady, which of course more nude paintings everywhere and dick sculptures. And it was a setup because before that they're at Alex's building after he had the three way Mm -hmm. and they're like, there's a new way now, Alex, you're going to, you know, do it the new way. You're going to stop picking on dim. It's part of the new way, brother. And and we're only going to go after the big, uh, the the big, uh, whatever money, the the big scores, the big scores, shiny stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then they let Alex think that he's back in charge, you know, like, oh yeah, we'll go to the, we got this big score coming up. It was your idea, Alex, or something like that, but, uh, not exactly like that, but. And he fucks him up. And then, uh, they trick him into going to the old lady's house, the cat lady. Yeah. But the slow-mo scene. That's great. Is excellent. And I, I read that, that the, before then there was very rarely that you would have a scene that long in slow motion. That Kubrick was kind of the first one to do such a long scene. Mm-hmm. And it, is that what inspired Reservoir Dogs? I don't know if that was a reach or not, but I thought I oh, read or saw somebody sure. mention that, that the intro to Reservoir Dogs was kind of homage to that, like the s- slow-mo scene, but I don't know. I it's similar, that. yeah. You should see the, uh, the South Park recreation of the Clockwork Orange scene there. Fucking hilarious. It's Cartman, and he, he fucks up what butters. And, uh, right. I, I, it was one of the coon episodes, I think. Okay. Cause I, I do Simpsons remember do that too. Vaguely. I think it's yeah. Nelson <laughs> that gets fucked up. I think I can't remember. He's who. like, he's dim. <laughs> I think so. Cause there was an episode of the Simpsons where it was a Halloween one and Bart dressed up like Alex. I don't know if that's the same one, but I think so. I think, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, he ends up crushing the cat lady with a huge dick, uh, sculpture. What is up with that dick sculpture too? Is there water in there or something? Like the way it's rocking back and forth makes no sense. What was it? Was it plaster? I was thinking it was ceramic, but it didn't look ceramic when he was hitting her with it. Because it broke. Not sure. But yeah, so many phallic items in this movie. In the record store, the girls are (laughs) sucking on some dick-shaped lollipops. What are you guys looking at over there? I just typed in Simpsons clock orange. There's a oh. bunch of images. Yeah. There's one where Park. Simpsons, Bart, they do a recreation of when he's doing the treatment scene where he's below the naked woman and he's going up. It's <laughs> Bart going up towards two cupcakes. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so he hears sirens, so he leaves the house. Come on, boys. But they're waiting behind the door there and they smash him in the face with a bottle. And leave them, leave them for the cops. Yep. Uh, the cat lady scene. Uh, one thing I learned, I think it was mostly a special features, but Kubrick used a lot of ideas from other people. Um, so like McDowell gave the idea for singing in the rain. Um, the cat lady. So the actress doing the yoga, he actually just, he didn't know what he wanted her to be doing. So he, he was just asking her questions and she's like, well, I can do yoga. He's like, yeah, do yoga type thing. And it seems like, that was kind of a reoccurring thing where he was using other people's ideas 
And apparently he gave the script to one of the producers and said, like, as they were writing it, uh, he said, give it to the doorman and ask him to read it. Just see if he has any random ideas to yeah. fit in. I heard that's kind of cool. I heard that yeah. same thing. It reminds me of David Lynch. I heard that he, like, you know, just he'd grab ideas from anywhere and just be like, oh, that sounds cool. Make that happen. Yeah. And it worked, apparently. I mean, yeah. Yeah. proof is in the pudding, as they say. They do say it. So yeah, he's arrested. Uh, that's about the end of Act One. There, he's sentenced to fourteen years in prison. Let's uh, let's get on to Act Two. Two years into the sentence, Alex takes up an offer to be test subject for the Minister of the Interior's new Ludovico technique, an experimental aversion therapy for rehabilitating criminals. Within two weeks, Alex is strapped to a chair, injected with drugs, and forced to watch films of sex and violence with his eyes propped open. Alex becomes nauseated by the films and then recognizes the films are set to music of his favorite composer, Ludwig van Beethoven. Fearing the technique will make him sick upon hearing Beethoven, Alex begs for the end of the treatment. Two weeks later, the minister demonstrates uh, Alex's rehabilitation to a gathering of officials. Alex is unable to fight back against an actor who taunts and attacks him, and becomes ill at the sight of a topless woman. The prison chaplain complains Alex has been robbed of his free will, but the minister asserts that the Ludovico technique will put will cut crime and alleviate crowding in the prisons. Now, do you have there a, isn't a whole lot in the prison. Do you but, have a, the clip of him getting processed? Uh, somewhat. I, I don't have the, the first processing clip. I have the second one. I just basically I had to get some clips okay. of Officer Barnes. Is that his name? Oh, his last name is Barnes. Okay. I, said. I don't know if they had It's it. something. It's not just officer. It's He's something so officer. Yeah, you He's don't understand so half of what he says. <laughs> Accent is so thick. Do you see the white line on the floor? <laughs> then your toes belong on the other side of it. <laughs> um, he really gets a good look up his ass, too. <laughs> yeah. That's what he <laughs> asks if he's homosexual, I think. He gets right up there. Are yeah. you now, or have you ever been a homosexual? <laughs> then he looks up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the, the, the flashlight in his mouth. He just gets you know, right up in there. Spreads him <laughs> a fart. Spread your cheeks. Touch your toes. I'm showing you where the wild goose goes. <laughs> so, yeah, I just have a couple of clips of just that officer guy um the first one is when they're in the yard when the minister comes in yeah looking for the test subject for the ludovico technique and he starts talking about prison and the culture inside and um alex goes you're absolutely right sir and then officer yells at him and then i I have another clip of just his stomping because he has a lot of formalities when he walks and when he presents when he's processing prisoners Anytime he changes his direction, he just has to like stamp his foot in the ground. Throwing these boots with the big heels. Well, then they, they he takes Alex to the uh, the clinic or whatever, and Alex just mocks him and does it. That's so fucking funny when he does that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, here I'll play a couple clips here. This is just Barnes being Barnes. Kill that criminal reflex. That's all. Full implementation in a year's time. Punishment means nothing to them. You can see that. They enjoy their so-called punishment. You're absolutely right, sir. Shut up, leading hole! 
said that. I did, sir. <laughs> uh, put on the subtitles and then shut your bleeding hole. Okay. I thought it said bean hole. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was either pee hole or bean hole. Like <laughs> I thought he kind of said pie hole. Oh. We all thought it was something different. You can't understand this fucking guy. <laughs> that was one of my favorite lines, though. It just like fucking screams. Once you him. know that and you're listening to it, then it make okay, I can, I can hear bleeding now, but here's him stomping around a little bit. Black Hope is up! I'm Chief Officer Barnes. I've got six double five three two one on a transfer from Parkmore to the Ludovico Center, sir. Good morning. Yes, we've been expecting you. I'm Dr. Alcott. Dr. Alcott. Very good, sir. Are you prepared to accept the prisoner, sir? Yes, of course. And I wondered if you'd mind signing these transfer documents, sir. There, sir. Just banking those feet against the ground. Mm-hmm. I like when he, uh, the officer comes to get Alex. The, the Barnes is just fucking dumbfounded that he doesn't want to like shackle him <laughs> or handcuff him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who is the officer to take charge of the prisoner? The guy's like me. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's okay. We'll just fucking walk him back. <laughs> You just want to turn your volume down a little bit? <laughs> Jesus. Always at a 10 with that guy. Oh, my God. You don't want to see him go to 11. Because <laughs> it's 11. It's, it's more than 10. So there's a scene in the prison where Alex is reading the Bible, and he's imagining himself as a Roman in biblical times, whipping Jesus as he's... <laughs> Walking with his cross, such a yeah. great team. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then he pictures himself as a Jewish soldier fighting in battle. So I thought it was weird that he pictured himself as both a Roman soldier, you know, torturing Jesus, and then also just a Jewish soldier. I thought he was a Roman soldier for both of them. And then he imagined himself because I think he he says Jewish soldier. Well, he imagines himself with uh, with his wife and his handmaiden, and <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Just... yeah. In the film, so in the film commentary, McDowell tells a story about Kubrick and him, and how the women for that imagination scene, Kubrick, according to McDowell, he said that Kubrick actually went and had somebody take pictures of different, you know, women's breasts. And they were going to pick the women based on their breasts. And that's who would get into the movie. (laughs) But he said he brought back the stills to McDowell so that they could decide, like, who do we want to be in the movie? And they were all excited and they picked them. But Kubrick forgot to put whose boobs were who (laughs) (laughs) on them. So he's like, they just had to fucking start over all over again. (laughs) I don't know how much just that's true, but it was a pretty fucking funny story. He said Kubrick was just super excited. I mean, I, I could a, see it because in that those shots, you don't really, I mean, some of their faces you can see, but it's mainly yeah. cameras trained solely on his face, which is surrounded by breasts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm guessing that's kind of why like, we want, we want the right tits for this shot. Uh, there are a lot sound, of good boobs in this movie. 
There are. Jason's say. a fan of boobs in movies. <laughs> well, I mean, these these are like unrealistically good boobs. Have you, you seen know? He Got Game? You want to, you want to borrow He Got Game after this? <laughs> I haven't seen it, but sounds like you can take about. it home and you know just have a great old time. Cool. Not that that has more boobs than other movies, but it's a. Uh, you weren't on earlier episodes, but He Got Game was a big thing for Alex and I growing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Loved He Got Game. It was, it was great material, if you will, uh, I oh, get, to I'm assist not, you in certain activities. I'm picking up what you're laying down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an odd way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> He's picking up what we were cranking down, right? Oh, whoa. <laughs> right, guys? Whoa! I'm a gentleman. I put it down. <laughs> I gently set it down. <laughs> Pick it up and put it down properly. <laughs> I love that guy. I forgot how great he was. It's been a while since I watched this. And again, Alex is a smart ass throughout, kind of back to how we opened the podcast. Yeah. Like he's imagining violence and sex while he's reading the bible so he's working the system the minute he gets that little in and treatment he's mocking the prison guard well, by ca- stomping around yeah. like right when he gets there so it's like he's always kind of <clears throat> trying to get the most out of everything especially when he when he gets one over on somebody but yeah. even in the prison library he's talking to the the uh prison minister or whatever and uh, you know he's manipulating him into Getting him into the treatment, yeah, just so he can get out early. Mm-hmm. And the minister doesn't like it. He's talking about, uh, what is it? he said, goodness comes from within. Goodness is chosen. When a man cannot choose, he ceases to be a man. No, yeah. so he doesn't. He's not for the treatment, but uh, he thinks that if Alex really wants it, he'll you know put in a good word. Mm-hmm. I had the, that exact same note, and then right below it, I had pomp and circumstance because right after that scene, yeah, I was waiting for Macho Man Randy Savage to come on. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was funny because when I was writing the notes, I was talking about how Alex, you know, the way he talks, there's a lot of formality, and I put, I wrote down like seems like there's a lot of pomp and circumstance. He's very theatrical, somewhat. Mm. And then pomp and circumstance actually comes on. I forgot that that was a uh, part of the soundtrack. I was thinking, you know, that's all of our graduation music, high school. I wonder if that's like an international thing. I wonder if English listeners can tell us when you guys graduate, do they play Pomp and Circumstance? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a global, universal thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm sure most countries don't play it at graduations, but there's got to be some other ones out there. I think most people play vitamin C <laughs> graduation. <laughs> As we go on, pick it up, Brad. Those are the senior <laughs> videos. <laughs> Jason, next line. Uh, All the good uh, times. <laughs> I think ours. Shut up, that. bitch. Let me sing the fucking song. <laughs> I think ours had that, that Green Day song. We we had that Green Day song. I think. Yeah, the, there's uh, that Green Day one. What is it? I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I hate Green Day. I want to listen to Green Day. Gross. Yeah, not a fan of Green Day. So in the days. Dookie, you guys don't like Dookie? I like, yeah, I like Dookie. Dookie's dope. Early nineties, mid nineties. You guys don't like Green Day when they decided to have a political voice. 
No, I didn't like him after. And American, what was it? I I never. American idiot. American idiot. That's what it was. The only Dookie I like is from No Holds Barred. I understand. (laughs) Dookie. Dookie. That's how he was credited in the in the credits. Only Uh, Dookie I like is from uh, Do the Right Thing. (laughs) That's Mookie. Oh, that's. (laughs) Um, No, the American idiot. I I just hate the song. I was like, oh God, this is terrible. I mean, I don't give a shit that they got all political. It was just, at the time, that was also like the easiest thing you could fucking do. Yeah. I mean, Eminem had a fucking song. Everybody had a fucking song. It's funny that they're like anti-capitalist, but then they they made a like Broadway play out of it. <laughs> yeah. that's right forgot about that and then they toured the it because they came they came they did a local one here for a while too it just seems like it's always low-hanging fruit there were weren't there two albums called rock against bush they were just compilations of like punk rock bands wouldn't surprise me i don't know but i mean punk rock kind of that's that's supposed to be going against the system in general it shouldn't matter if it's republican or democrat right um i mean they were against a lot of democrats back in the day but it seems like once you know the 90s happened and then after that it was just they're going to be politically active every time there's a republican it's like well you know both parties sucks maybe you should criticize both rage against the machine Mm. yeah there you go i don't want to get too off topic with this but how about uh u2 they were supposed to have an album come out in uh like november 2016 and then for some reason they just canceled it at the last minute i don't know who you too. Oh, right. They're supposed to have an album come out at the end of 2016. And then, like, early November that year, they're just like, well, we're not going to release it. Well, they had that album that they gave to everyone for free and everyone hated it because it went on everyone's iTunes <laughs> yeah. list. It automatically downloaded. <laughs> yeah. Everyone got pissed. <laughs> uh, it annoyed me too. Every time you yeah. pop into iTunes, it was like, you want to download? No. Leave yeah. it undownloaded. <laughs> well, now, you need to connect to Wi-Fi to download these YouTube songs. Yeah, and now on your phone, if you don't hit like "I only want to listen to downloaded songs," and you just shuffle all your music, that album still comes up for me. I don't hmm. want to <laughs> listen to this. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, back that to Clockworks. I was gonna ask the uh, the when the minister's coming in through the prison, he stops in one of the the cells. Is that Alex's cell, or are we supposed to assume that? Like before um, he goes out to the yard. I don't know. I guess. What's in there? Like it's just well, there's a lot just, of there's, there's a lot just, of naked women on the wall. And then there's a few other trinkets. Oh, that's oh. right, yeah. Because it seems yeah. like that minister looks at Alex's cell before he goes out to the yard and Alex yeah, when I was right. watching it back, I was like, oh, so he was kind of maybe planning on having oh, Alex do it the whole time. That's a good or point. He looks like he might yeah. be a good candidate. Yeah, I don't know. if I assume we're supposed to assume it's his cell, Alex's cell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got all the Beethoven stuff. Yeah. It's probably hand-picked so. by the minister oh, himself. One thing we missed. General, if you guys caught I caught it watching it this time. The cat lady... When she's attacking Alex, she has a bust of Beethoven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I don't think I caught that before. I just realized something. Maybe this is nothing, but when the minister goes into his cell and is looking at the stuff, like the two things that he focuses on are that bust of Beethoven, and then there's like another picture of Beethoven that he picks up and looks at, right? So maybe they, well, when, the, when, the, when they're doing the treatment, the doctors say like, oh, that's just kind of an accidental extra punishment, mm-hmm. but maybe the minister... 
kind of orchestrated that. Purposely did it? Mm-hmm. Ah, that's a good point. Maybe. I read, too, that uh, in the yard when they were going in a circle, that was supposed to be some, like, uh, tribute to a Vincent Van Gogh painting. Prisoners in the yard, or something like that. That's what it's called. So I don't, I don't remember what, exactly what it's called, but it was apparently he's got a painting of prisoners in a circle in the yard, and <laughs> uh, Kubrick's like, "Well, let's just do that." <laughs> you really think about it, Kubrick just used everybody else's ideas for this movie. <laughs> it's uh, you know working smarter. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I just looked up that picture. It does look pretty similar. You know, a real leader knows always when, like, to give and show generous to his uh, unders. What? A real leader knows always when, like, to give uh, and show generous to his unders. Who says that? Alex. Oh. Alex says that. Our Alex? Alex the large. <laughs> I said that last time I was here. <laughs> he says that after he, he throws a... Uh, Dim and Georgie in the river, and they're at the 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 bar, <laughs> not the milk bar, but the other bar. Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. That second bar right. just looks like right. like an Applebee's. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we kind of glossed over that. That's the total vibe I got. It was like I whooped their ass and I took them to Applebee's. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to the milk bar. You guys are being disciplined. <laughs> Applebee's half off apps. <laughs> So yeah, he goes through the treatment, forced to watch videos. Some of it's just violence, some of it's rape, sex. Um, yeah, they have Ludwig Van providing the score. There's some Nazi stuff in there. Yeah, I wanted to point that out because that is incredible. When they they cut to that, music's all of a sudden silent because they're starting a new track, and it's that boom, boom, dun 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 I think it's ninth symphony again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's when they start oh, showing really like. all the nazi stuff that is like the way that's juxtaposed we should have we don't have to redo our top five list the, the music to movie uh, juxtapositions mm-hmm. god that was just incredible watching that with that well, not, the imagery is so powerful it's maybe the most terrifying thing in the movie mm-hmm. is hearing or seeing all that you know, you see the buildup of the Nazi empire and mm-hmm. war, and then it has this cheerful Beethoven in the background. Uh, I, I guess I didn't realize, I thought I had read it, that the Ninth Symphony was associated with the Third Reich. And I, I guess I didn't know that they were, you know, be, maybe because Hitler's army or whatever played it a lot or something or headed in propaganda films or something. But I read that. Part of the movie notes was the Ninth Symphony, and it wasn't to allude to like Alex being a Nazi or anything. It was more mm-hmm. just like evil. Well, Beethoven's German anyway, so I mean, you so could I guess make you, that just as, but... you just associated because of that. But I guess I I never thought of that. I, I read that Hitler's favorite composer was Wagner. Yeah, I've okay, heard, I've heard that too. Get a little flight of the Valkyries going. So he goes to the treatment. Who actually presents? Is it the minister? The minister introduces everything, right? He gathers all the government officials and the media into that At the demonstration? Room. Yeah, the demonstration. I think it's the minister yeah. that's running all that, right? I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. He brings Alex up there, and he has this actor come out and just berate him with insults and physically assaults him. And mm-hmm. Obviously, Alex can't even defend himself. Whenever he raises his fist, he gets 
immediately gets sick, feels nauseated, cripples him really. Yeah. Down on the ground. Has to lick that guy's shoe, which I read that uh, Malcolm McDowell demanded that um, the only shoe that he was going to lick had to be a shoe that never touched the ground ever. <laughs> had to be yeah. like a brand new shoe. And so I'm guessing they had that guy like stand on a cloth or something and then lift it up for well, the close up, you know, and have him lick it. Yeah. I was thinking they only show him lick it. I mean, they like. In a close up. Yeah, yeah. shifts to close up. So they probably just had him put the shoe on, hold his foot in the air yep. until. Hop on one foot, it. put the shoe on, put it on his face. Either way, that's pretty gross. Yeah, after he broke his rip for, <laughs> for gosh sakes. Um, and then the, the, the naked woman comes out. Can't even make a move. He gets sick. Mm-hmm. Talk about objectifying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. And she gives three bows. Like She bows, <laughs> goes to the end of the stage, bows again. Turns around to walk backstage, turns around again and bows. And I'm like, you, she's literally the bowing. Pl- she's literally playing a sex object. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she <laughs> knew the she most, was doing a good job. In it. the most literal sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then right after, he doesn't necessarily open it up for quite well. I can't remember if he says any questions or any thoughts, but yeah. um, obviously he thinks this is a big success. And I have a clip here. This is the chaplain um, kind of pointing out the faults in this new technique. Mm-hmm. You see, ladies and gentlemen, our subject is impelled towards the good by, paradoxically, being impelled towards evil. The intention to act violently is accompanied by strong feelings of physical distress. To counter these, the subject has to switch to a diametrically opposed attitude. Any questions? Choice. The boy has no real choice, has he? Self-interest, the fear of physical pain, drove him to that grotesque act of self-abasement. Its insincerity was clearly to be seen. He ceases to be a wrongdoer. He ceases also to be a creature capable of moral choice. Padre, these are subtleties. We're not concerned with motives, with higher ethics. We are concerned only with cutting down crime. With relieving the ghastly congestion in our prisons. He will be your true Christian, ready to turn the other cheek, ready to be crucified rather than crucify, sick to the very heart at the thought even of killing a fly. Reclamation, joy before the angels of God. The point is that it works. And the very next day, your friend and humble narrator was a free man. That he was. So he's kind of a Christ figure, right? <laughs> Although, I mean, they do he, he gets somewhat sac- put that image <laughs> he in He basically gets sacrificed and then, mm-hmm. you know. He's at, tortured. At the, yeah, at the, end, at the end, uh, not spoil too much, he, he gets uh, resurrected, if you will. Yeah. So that's another reason to like him. <laughs> reason number one. <laughs> Speaking of the Christ imagery, um, I thought it was the first act in the scene in the bedroom when uh, Alex is lying there listening to Ludwig Van. Uh, he has that statue 
Got the chorus line of Dancing yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Dancing yeah. Jesus, like the high kick line of mm-hmm. Dancing <laughs> Jesus's. And the way Kubrick edits it, it makes it seem as if the statue was dancing. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah. To yeah, make something, cool. I mean, it's like stop motion, but he's not even moving that object. He's just moving the camera and editing it in such a way to make it pop, mm-hmm. come alive. I thought that was pretty impressive. But yeah, there's a lot of Christ imagery. Now, I guess but, I'm not a scholar, but I don't think he raped anyone or murdered. Who's that? <laughs> Jesus. Well, kind of debatable, we, though. We don't know. <laughs> we weren't there. Yeah, there was a big chunk of his life that's not even <laughs> yeah, talked about. That's what he was doing from like age 11 to 33, 32, whatever it was. But now that you go back to that that scene in the room, like he's listening to Beethoven and he's kind of in a. Um, <laughs> kind of in a trance and he's thinking about uh ultraviolence ultraviolence <laughs> so he's got like the uh i just guessed <laughs> the the woman the woman being hanged and then it's like him with vampire fangs with blood oh, coming yep. out mm-hmm. uh explosions there's a a landslide that looks like it's a clip from an old movie some of it's almost comical a little bit and he, he like describes vampire teeth he describes it as such lovely pictures oh that uh the uh the music makes him uh you know come up with in his head like the va- i remember the vampire teeth image and i was like god it's a, it's a i don't know it just seems yeah it's not that anything else is too realistic i guess well most of the images are but the vampire teeth thing it was like yeah, it's kind of creepy, but it just looks kind of cheap looking a little bit where it's almost comical. Like, yeah, that's what I got from it. Kind of hokey. Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, it's, it's him just imagining another, like, form of violence. Mm-hmm. So, but after the treatment, obviously, not every time he hears the Beethoven, he's seeing those images and it's making him physically ill. Mm hmm. And he just wants to snuff it. But he's a free man. Mm-hmm. Um, let's uh, let's go to Act Three here. I'll read through that, and then we can discuss at nauseum. Alex is let out as a free man, only to find his parents have sold his possessions and have lent out his room. Alex encounters an elderly vagrant whom he had attacked years earlier, and the vagrant and his friends attack him. Alex is saved by two policemen, but is shocked to find they are his former droogs, Dim and Georgie. They drive him to the countryside, beat him up, and nearly drown him before abandoning him. Alex makes it to the doorstep of a nearby home before collapsing. Alex wakes up to find himself in the home of Mr. Alexander, where he was being cared for by his manservant, Julian. (laughs) Mr. Alexander does not recognize Alex from the previous attack, but knows of Alex and the Ludovico technique from the newspapers. He sees Alex as a political weapon and prepares to present him to his colleagues. While bathing, Alex breaks into singing in the rain, causing Mr. Alexander to realize that Alex was the person who assaulted him and his wife. Mr. Alexander drugs Alex and locks him in an upstairs bedroom. He then plays Beethoven's Ninth Symphony loudly from the floor below. Alex is unable to withstand the sickening pain and attempts suicide by throwing himself out the window. Alex wakes up in a hospital with broken bones. While being given a series of psychological tests, Alex finds that he no longer has aversions to violence and sex. The minister arrives and apologizes to Alex. He offers to take care of Alex and get him a job in return for his cooperation with his election campaign 
and public relations counteroffensive. As a sign of goodwill, the minister brings in a stereo system playing Beethoven's Ninth. Alex then contemplates violence and has vivid thoughts of himself having sex with a woman in front of an approving crowd, thinking, I was cured, all right. The end. Here, I just, I gotta play this real quick. Hey, Dad. There's a strange fella sitting on the sofa, munchy munching lump ticks of toast. <laughs> That's Joe. He, uh, he lives here now. The lodger. That's what he is. He rents your room. Joe the Lodger. I love that guy. <laughs> hey, Dad. <laughs> There's this munchy munchy on ticks of toast. Because he's been in the room for like two minutes already yeah, talking it, to his parents. And a whole conversation ignoring <laughs> yeah. this guy. And nobody's introduced him to this random stranger eating on the couch. And you kind of understand it, you know, that although it is a little weird seeing as that Alex didn't seem to be giving his parents any money when he was living there. And they seem to make out just fine. Mm-hmm. Oh. Although if you think your son's going to be away for 14 years, then yeah, but maybe yeah. he'd rent out his room. Why don't they know he's coming home? Yeah. It's like they're reading the paper. They're like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> he's coming home. Alex. We need you to think get a, they mean we our need to get a lodger in here tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but he's already paid next month's rent. You can't yeah. very well yeah, just, just kick him out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the actor who plays the dad. Philip Stone was in, he's the only actor to be in three Kubrick films in a row. Hmm. So he's the dad in here. He's Grady. Yep, Shining. Grady. Ah, that's where I recognized him from. And then I've never seen Barry Lyndon, but he's Graham and Barry okay. Lyndon. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, because not too many people make repeat appearances unless they're in minor roles. Yeah. Because I think they said, I think I read too, that some of the prisoners, some of those minor characters, are in, a lot of them are in Barry Lyndon, but I don't know, I've never seen it. I don't know. Well, Kubrick filmed most of his stuff, at least post-Spartacus, in England, Pinewood Studios. You know, Full Metal Jacket was filmed in England. They had palm trees flown in and all these fake uh, bushes. They had like 100,000 bushes or something that they got in, plastic ones. To make it, you know, London look like Hanoi. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, he, he moved to England, I believe, in the 60s. And he just kind of stayed there. Didn't like, I don't think he liked flying either. Yeah, I had like fear of flying or something like that. Yeah, so like Pinewood Studios, there was a lot of filming going on, um, Kubrick-wise. Also, Star Wars was mostly filmed at Pinewood Studios. Uh, the Bond movies are famously mostly done at Pond, Pinewood Studios. So, The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, it's kind of a little-known fact that Kubrick actually helped with The Spy Who Loved Me. In uh, one of the scenes, there's a big action scene, and Kubrick was on set to help them light it. But I guess it was... He agreed to do it as long as they didn't give him a credit. Like, I don't think he wanted people to know that he helped with a James Bond, Bond movie. Bond film? <laughs> I guess your letter in the, maybe he just didn't want to be thought of in that capacity because he just helped with the lighting, you know, but Pinewood studios probably wasn't too hard to get Kubrick in. And Hey, we got a bond movie. We need your help with something. Why don't you come in for a, for a day? Help mm-hmm. us shoot this action scene. So yeah, Pinewood studios, 
That would be if I went to England, that's where I want to go. I mean, out of obviously all the historical places you got to see, that would be in my top five places to go see. Is that in London? Is that what you said? Uh, it's England somewhere. I don't know if it's in London. But mm. Isn't everything in London? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. It's funny you say the Star Wars thing because that big Hulkin dude uh, at the author's home, David Prowse, yeah. mm-hmm. that's Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. So he's the actor who walks okay. around with the mask and shit like that. I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Also, like Mister Universe, yeah, yeah. He, he helped he, Christopher Reeves like get in shape for Superman. I read. He looks like picturing the guy's name is Julian. I think right. Yeah, in this yeah. movie, Julian looks bigger here than Darth Vader does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> looks like he had to lose weight. Maybe he slimmed down later in the seventies. The he black makes him look thinner. Yeah, and the cape, the cape is slimming. The cape, yeah. He goes, I need a slim cape. Yeah, that's why I see a lot of the same actors and people who in, are involved with the production across Star Wars, Bond movies, stuff like that, because it's all Pinewood Studios. Hmm. But back to Clockwork. So he's out on the streets. <laughs> Yeah, got his, so, got his package of personal belongings. <laughs> of course, literal, you know he didn't. Literal package. <laughs> he didn't get to keep his chocolate, <laughs> or his cigarettes, or, his or cigarettes. I'm guessing because they're perishable items. Mm-hmm. Half bar chocolate. <laughs> One packet cigarettes. <laughs> they, they throw those away immediately. No, they they eat them and smoke them. <laughs> that's, that's what I was thinking. Like he didn't throw them away. Put him in his pocket for later. <laughs> he runs in from the, runs into the uh, old homeless dude from uh, the beginning. Yeah, gets his ass whooped by a bunch of homeless elderly. As soon as that guy recognizes him, he's like, he calls the dogs and they, not the literal dogs, but his homeless saying, friends who are in the in the <laughs> tunnel. He's almost droogs. It's even funnier if he yelled droogies. <laughs> Let's get him, droogies. <laughs> <laughs> they put a pretty good beating on him mm-hmm. till uh, the police show up, break it up. Yeah, uh, Georgie and Dim break it up, and they take him out to, you assume they're just going to kill him. And for some reason, they stop, which kind of confuses me, because they that is a long shot when they're drowning Alex. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. They don't cut away from that. I was like, no. that, yeah. Malcolm McDowell's holding his breath for quite a while down there. They said they put like beef beef broth or something in there to make it brown, and mm-hmm. so after he got dunked or many times they did it, he's just like, I can't do it. This stuff smells so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had like an oxygen tank rigged up. Under oh, there. Did. Yeah, they had so when his head went under, I don't know, he had an oxygen mask or something like that underneath. That's why they could do it for so long. Was, they said it was freezing ass cold out. Yeah, regardless, so it still was. Pretty brutal. Did you notice that uh, when they're carrying him or escorting him, Georgie and Dim, you know, are on either side of him, and one of them has the number six six five on his uniform, and the other is six six seven. So Alex is in the middle, so he's supposed to be thought of as six six six. Clever. And Kubrick has called him the personification of evil numerous times. It's kind mm. of what Alex is supposed to represent. Yeah. In the book, the two officers are. It's Georgie and then Billy Boy. Mm. So Billy Boy is the other cop. I believe it's Georgie. I don't think it's Dim, but mm. yeah, that uh, that scene in the where he was getting dunked was pretty impressive. 
I love the I, I love the score when they're whacking them in the side with the fucking yeah. billy club, and then they're like, gong, like every time. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, that, that was, was cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. Like if they had an oxygen tanker, they they did a pretty good job of not having bubbles come up. Yeah, I don't know how they rigged it up. It was it's pretty because I I didn't realize until watching it this time and reading that it was like, oh shit, that's one shot. Yeah, <laughs> like they never cut away from that. And Georgie had mercy on him, and Dim's like, no, he's still kicking. He's still kicking. (laughs) (laughs) They finally handcuff him and just leave him there to die. So, yeah, he uh, obviously makes it to the writer's home. They take him in, or Julian carries him in. There's a really cool (laughs) shot. Did you notice, like, when uh, they show the writer sitting there, and then it slowly pans over. And it's like the exact same shot as at the beginning mm-hmm. where yeah. it pans over to the wife sitting in the chair. But this time you're like, oh, that's not the wife. Just, then you hear that heavy breathing in the in the background. <laughs> and then they finally pan over. Show, show him puppets <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Super yoke dude just <laughs> busting out some... <laughs> busting out some reps. It's your father. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going on over there in the other side of the room there? <laughs> Had to get rid of the egg. I love when Julian <laughs> carries uh, the, the, the author in, in yeah. the wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> just walking in well, like it's nothing. It's I like, read Jesus. something about that where uh, the actor for Julian said, like, uh, he, he didn't want to do that scene. He said he said to Kubrick, like, you're not known as one-shot Kubrick. <laughs> like, right. I don't want to do this 50 times carrying this guy in the wheelchair, you know? And people thought That's that what? Kubrick was going to fire him, but he just kind of laughed and was like, oh, you'll be fine. And then they got it in like six six takes, I think. Yeah, you'll be Jesus. fine until I start yelling at you. <laughs> Berating you in front of the whole crew. And then after he discovers that mm-hmm. he was the man from the beginning... He obviously gets very hostile, and it, he does not have a poker face. Let's put it that way. The author? Yeah, you yeah. should think I, <laughs> his face is constantly moving, and then the food, all oh. right. Yeah, the, the way his face is like trembling with rage and stuff reminds me of, uh, is it Tio from Breaking Bad? Or Uncle Tito? Oh, yeah, or yeah. Tito? Oh, yeah. 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 How his face is always yeah. just kind of... Mm-hmm. That's funny. Wrinkled up. Food, all right. McDowell said that that actor, like in between takes, he would like pull McDowell's side and he goes, uh, I don't think this Cooper guy knows what he's doing because <laughs> I feel like I'm overacting and he loves it. He goes, like, this is going to be such a pile of crap. <laughs> he thought he was being ridiculous and Kubrick's like, perfect. <laughs> it is perfect though. Like, no. Yeah, there's so much of that stuff in this movie where it's like, it is overacting, but it's, it just fits perfectly. Yeah. You know? It makes it just extra weird. Oh. I looked at that guy's IMDB page and like every image on there is that face, <laughs> but it's from different movies. Like there's every movie he's done <laughs> is just him making that face. Apparently <laughs> <laughs> so like that's gotta be a pick from a clock record. No, that's, uh, that's a different movie. Like the close up of him on the ground right before the rape. Like when it's a close up of his face. He's like, no, ah. like when he's, uh, when Alex is eating the spaghetti, he's just like glaring at him. Like, okay, that oh that one. Okay, <laughs> oh, that face. <laughs> it's, like, it's just the face he makes when he when he acts. I guess. Try the wine. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah, he puts in a call to his political cronies. Uh, they'd like to kind of overthrow the government, or at least, uh, what do you want to say, um, sabotage get, get their, their party, agenda. Get their party into the, the into power at the next election. Yeah. Um, so he's like, hey, I can kill two birds with one stone. I can probably get Alex to kill himself. Yeah. And also prove my point that the... I guess establishment isn't all what they're cracked up to be. Yeah. Alex is really uh, wary about drinking the wine. And Still, he, he doesn't want to be rude, though. He tries to get the, the other two guys to drink wine with him, and uh, yeah. the writer can't because of his health, and the other guy just says no. And he's like looking no at the carbs bottle. day. <laughs> <laughs> 1960, uh, whatever, whatever. That great brand, nice brand, yes. And he just gulps it down, just chugs it. He, he takes a quick sip, and he's like, yeah, all right, whatever. It's <laughs> like, oh, just commit to it. It's like, you have a huge plate of spaghetti in front of you. You're going to want some more. How about another glass? This is the one glass of poison wasn't yeah. enough. One glass of roofies. I guess you're almost curious maybe if he kind of wanted to die in that case. Because if you think about it, right before the homeless dude remembers him, he's staring into the river, mm-hmm. like very depressed, yeah. and he's just like the the shot is going deeper towards the river. Then the homeless man beats the shit out of him, takes mm-hmm. his package. Then Dim and Georgie take him out to the middle of nowhere and drown him, basically. And then this guy, like, he might think it's almost poison, and then... Like, say, fuck it. Because right after he drinks it, he gives that that one line. He said, I just feel like at any second, something really, really bad. He says he's he feels yeah. really low, and at any mm-hmm. second, something really, really bad is going to happen to me. And he face plants in the spaghetti. And then, he, and then he jumps out of the window when he wakes up because he hears it. So maybe he was like, well, if it is poison, fuck it type attitude. I don't think oh, he knew that, that. The, the writer knew it was him that like raped his wife uh but he kind of like was just uh suspicious because he was uh, you know afraid that like he recognized the writer right but the writer didn't at first recognize alex and he didn't know that he heard him singing and it triggered Mm -hmm. his memory but so he was a little like afraid that he was going to recognize him but he didn't know that he had already been recognized so he's like, okay, is this guy just acting weird because he's weird, or is mm-hmm. he acting weird because he knows I raped his wife? Yeah. But I was kind of thinking, how dumb is it to sing Singing in the Rain in the house that you raped a woman while singing that song? Like, why the fuck would you sing that? Because he knows he's in the house. Yeah. So maybe to your point, Alex, maybe that was another, you know, more evidence that he was trying to destroy himself. By singing that song. So I'm like, God, he has got to be the dumbest motherfucker in this movie. If he thinks he can sing, singing in the rain in the house where he raped his wife, singing, singing in the rain. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's just a regular night for him, you know, that just blends in with all the other stuff that he did. Like he didn't even. Yeah. How many times has he raped somebody singing, singing in the rain? Yeah. Not too many. Like he might have. He thought he was in the clear or something, or maybe it was just a like a subconscious thing where like he's yeah. in the bath and he's singing the the one song that he knows. Yeah, the subconscious thing is basically what I kind of chalk it up to. I just wasn't thinking, you know. Yeah, but Alex has 
you know, some good points and evidence that maybe he was trying, it was a little suicidal or it right. was maybe just disillusioned or it was like, I don't really care either way. He, he seemed pretty the, happy in that bathtub though. He like told he the writer and his friends that, uh, you know, every time I hear it, I want to stuff myself out, you know, stuff it out. Mm-hmm. So he basically told him like, this is what you got to do to make me kill myself. Yeah. Yeah. Another subtlety I enjoyed was when he does singing in the rain. And then he, he hits the water. He's like, singing in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> He's constantly just performing. That's what you get the impression of. Yeah. Had you guys seen Singing in the Rain before this? I, Not yes. No, I watched it. Wait. The years later. Actually, no, I had seen Clockwork before Singing in the Rain. Oh. I was going to say, I watched Singing in the Rain a couple of years ago because Sam wanted to watch it. And... Anytime they sang that song, this is the only thing I thought of. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard not to. Oh, right. You know, if you hear it anywhere, you just think of this. I also Mm -hmm. forgot how quick it comes on in the movie. Like how the rape. Yeah. Like the sing in the rain scene, like like 10 minutes in. I haven't watched this movie start to finish probably in two years or something. Yeah. I thought it was like half an hour in. I couldn't remember how quick it happened. Because that first night they go boom, 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 you know, right. street fight, racing. Milk, fight, you know. race. Yeah, it was like, fuck, <laughs> yeah. I forgot. This just gets going immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but they're all such good scenes that, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like a two hour, 15 minute movie. No, it no. goes by fast. So you guys would just want to get into the meat of the matter, the themes? Well, then you got to. We're going to wrap the lap. Wrap the up. last scene in the hospital. He goes yeah. face first in the spaghetti. I think is where we left off. Mm. But yeah. do you got you don't have any you don't have any sound bites. Not anymore. Oh, I was thinking. Uh, <laughs> so I love he, the I love the psychology test when he's eating the. What do you see here? <laughs> oh yeah, that. No time for the old in and out. Just here to read the meter. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny that right before he wakes up. The the doctor and the nurse are having sex and like banging. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're, <laughs> the they're moaning, moaning back. back and and, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was like showing like another societal structure that is corrupt as yeah. well. Yeah. Like nothing's so, pure. Yeah. Like this world, there's nothing pure and it leads to impure people. They're all authority figures too. Mm-hmm. Police and doctors and politicians and prison wardens. And I guess the pastor, he might be the only yeah. pure one that you don't really get a. You don't see anything. The parents are decent, but you could say, well, I don't know if you necessarily call it neglect, but they definitely aren't paying all that much attention to what their kid's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you hear what time he came in last night? Like, no, I was asleep. Mm. Well, the dad dad says, oh, what kind of work? I wonder what kind of work he does. (laughs) Mom says, oh, he does odd jobs, you know, here and there. They're very laissez-faire with the parenting. But I was thinking uh, at the when he passes out in the spaghetti, he's got the robe on, like he's just out of the bathtub. He's wearing the robe, and then he wakes up upstairs, fully clothed in his suit. So they yeah. they they dressed him. <laughs> I suppose it adds to them staging him killing himself because it, yeah. it might seem odd if he was listening to Beethoven when he was getting dressed or something or. You know what yeah, I mean? I don't know. Like he jumped out of the window in a bathrobe, but the suit mm-hmm. was still filthy because it was the one that he got dunked in. Yeah, like they didn't clean it up or anything; they just put him back in it. 
I read that uh, to get that shot of Alex going out the window, because the camera goes straight into the ground. I guess they put a camera inside of a reinforced window box. They do it six times for the camera to be facing down when it hit the ground. And they actually broke the lens, but the camera was fine otherwise. And Cooper was like, damn, this is a strong camera. <laughs> and the affinity for that after, for those cameras after that. But yeah, they put a camera in a box and just tossed it over. It, was it took six sick. times until it actually fell right. <clears throat> it was a pretty cool shot. Yeah, the minister of the interior at the hospital after the psychology test, he just comes in and he's like, well, we'll get you a job. We'll do this. We'll do that. Mm-hmm. Just uh, tell them we're not so bad. Yep. Yeah. Then he feeds him. <laughs> yeah, I love that. He smacked his mouth open. Yeah. When he's doing that, I read that it was, uh, I guess it was kind of a long day of shooting. Everyone's kind of getting bored and you know, like Kubrick kind of was, I guess. And Malcolm McDowell said he did that to kind of liven up the atmosphere, kind of keep everyone awake and on their toes, get them more focused because it amused Kubrick and everyone on set, I guess. It is funny as hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, hi, hi there. So, yeah, they play Lubbock Van. Uh, you can tell it doesn't bother him anymore. He's thinking about going out, having sex with some ladies, and he's cured. Credits, singing Credits. in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that they have Gene Kelly singing in the rain song yeah. to close it. So then we are left to contemplate crime and punishment, uh, morality, psychology, a lot of stuff. Um, free will. Um, if we just start off with the morality part of it, um, kind of the central question of the film is kind of like definition of goodness and whether it makes sense to use aversion therapy to stop immoral behavior. Uh, Kubrick wrote in Saturday Review, he described the film as a social satire dealing with the question of whether behavioral psychology and psychological conditioning are dangerous new weapons for a totalitarian government to use to impose vast controls on its citizens and turn them into little more than robots. Similarly, on the film production's call sheet, uh, Kubrick wrote, It is a story of the dubious redemption of a teenage delinquent by conditioned reflex therapy. It is, at the same time, a running lecture on free will. And that's what the movie kind of comes down to for me. I'm a big free will guy. Uh, not that I want Alex to do those things, but once you take away free will, you kind of just take away everything from a person. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think we defined like a clockwork orange because in the book, I think they, even in that NADSAT uh, vocabulary, clockwork means mechanically responsive and then orange refers to a man or a person, essentially. Mm-hmm. I also read that clockwork orange can be read as uh, organic outside, mechanical inside. Yeah. If it was a clock and an orange. Yep. Um, I, I was, uh, watched one of the special features on that. I have that 40th anniversary edition and it was Malcolm McDowell looks back and it was like 10 minutes of just talking to McDowell. They were showing him old pictures from the production and whatnot. And you know, this brings back some memories, blah, blah, blah. He was talking about meeting and hanging out with Anthony Burgess. And he asked him, you know, what the hell is clock? Why is it called Clockwork Orange? You know, where'd he come up with that name? And he said Burgess told him that he was at a pub in the East End of London 
and he overheard some guys talking at the bar and some guy was talking about guy was as queer as a clockwork orange. And <laughs> like, that's where he came up with the name. <laughs> like, obviously he means it. Uh, he has, you know, it's like a he, symbol in his book, Sure, but that was maybe a jumping off point for that term. Huh. He, maybe he just heard that and then applied it to something else. I guess I'm not sure. Maybe just like the phrasing of it. Yeah. So but like, it, and, it still confuses me. It's queer as a clockwork orange. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming the guy queer still he, means gay over there, but. Well, well, it probably at that time it was probably more like strange. Yeah. 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 It could be strange. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wanted to take him to Queer Street. <laughs> Once in a while, Joe Rogan drops that on a UFC. Yeah, there's a... Put, a, put him on Queer Street. <laughs> uh, some, I'm reading some further research here. Uh, after aversion therapy, Alex behaves like a good member of society, though not through choice. His goodness is involuntary. He has become the titular... Clockwork orange, organic on the outside, mechanical on the inside. In the prison, after witnessing the technique in action on Alex, the chaplain criticizes it as false, arguing that the true goodness must come from within. This leads to the theme of abusing liberties, personal, governmental, civil, by Alex. With two conflicting political forces, the government and the descendants, are di- <laughs> dissidents, not descendants, they didn't descend. <laughs> Dissidents. George Clooney? <laughs> you ever have that? Word you can't get? Uh, they're both manipulating Alex purely for their own political ends. So once again, you get both parties, both you know sides of the coin, yeah. trying to achieve their goals through nefarious purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story portrays the conservative and liberal parties as equally worthy of criticism. Uh, the writer Frank Alexander... A victim of Alex and, and uh, his gang wants revenge against Alex and sees him as a means of definitively turning the populace against the incumbent government and its new regime. Mr. Alexander fears the new government in uh, a telephone conversation where he says uh, recruiting, or he's talking about, you know, the cops are recruiting brutal young roughs, proposing debilitating and will sapping techniques of conditioning. Oh, we've seen it all before in other countries. The thin end of the wedge. Before we know where we are, we shall have the full apparatus of totalitarianism. Yeah, I'm not a fan of authoritarian governments, totalitarian. Kind of more of a free will guy, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You guys like being what controlled? Say so. <laughs> totalitarian. Got a nice ring to it. <laughs> and it, usually, like when you see a lot of sci-fi films when they're showing dystopian futures, you know, like Fahrenheit 451 and things like that, it's always like terrible cultures brought about because of some tragedy that happened mm-hmm. and the government overreacts or, or that, or they overexert themselves yeah. because of the tragedy. They're like, Oh, we can, you know, exert more force, more control. Mm-hmm. And then it ends up turning into shit. There's they a lot of movies flag. like that where, uh, everybody's just kind of the same. Like they're just going to homogenize the whole culture where there's no individualism. And then it's always the one individual doing whatever. Whereas in here, they're still like, they're not at that point yet, but yeah, 
You know. It's leading to like, they're going to start burning books here in a little while if they can't get the but, violence under control. But if they start doing that Ludovico technique to all the prisoners, like they could get to that point because everybody will be forced to act a certain way against their own will. I was going to say, I think I liked it. The more I thought about it is it has comparisons in 1984. Mm-hmm. Like the book, I never saw the movie, but I mean, similar things with, has anyone seen the movie? I don't know. I, I've, I've I was going to watch it one time just out of curiosity, but I never did. I've yeah. seen the movie. Yeah. I'm it sure a, it's better than the book, right? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read the book, so I don't know. Oh. But I mean, well, that's the, weird. the whole, I mean, the made up language. I mean, they have the thought police and they, mm-hmm. they have made a, you know, they have not as different of a language here, but I mean, it's also the government totally basically deciding how you can think and rewriting history and all that type of stuff. So kind of the comparison of the two was kind of interesting to think about. Any of you guys seen the movie equilibrium? Mm-mm. No, it's not like a great film, but it's a, it's a sci-fi action film with Christian Bale and Tay Diggs <laughs> from Sold. like the early two thousands. But I think I had that on my DVR before I got deleted. <laughs> I got it on DVD. You know, <laughs> I probably won't upgrade to Blu-ray, but I do enjoy the story of it. It's dystopian future in UK, it seems like. I don't know if they're very specific about that, but everyone's pretty British. And in that future, everyone's under control by a drug that everyone takes, I think, like twice a day. Like alarm will go off, and everyone stops what they're doing, and they inject themselves. Mm. And the drug causes people to not feel emotion whatsoever. Is that a remake of THX 1138? Uh, no, but I mean, it's very similar. It's, it's kind of similar to Fahrenheit 451. You know, that's more about kind of expressionism. You know, people aren't allowed to express themselves or read literature and things mm-hmm. like that. And this is because they feel that in the equilibrium, if you cut out emotion, you know, people won't be violent anymore. They won't be acting out. They, you know, people became too violent. So we had to have people stop feeling things. So not only can people not feel, they've also outlawed books, paintings, pretty much all forms of art. Another movie to consider is Footloose. Where <laughs> you're not allowed to dance. That's easily expression. That should be in this conversation. <laughs> hey, Kevin Bacon fixes the, that. Though. I put Equilibrium in it. So Footloose has got to be a better movie than Equilibrium. No dancing. The 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 mid two thousands remake is that. That no, no, Kevin Bacon. But yeah, in equilibrium, the big thing is like um like there's a group of rebels who obviously don't take the medication. So they don't feel it. But I mean when you're take when you're on the medication, it's kinda of like you can't even fathom fathom people going off of it because it's kind of it's kind of wired them to I have to take this every twelve hours. You know, there's an alarm that goes off, everyone does it, like it's nothing, nobody cares. They think it progresses society and makes it more peaceful but there's a group of rebels that you know like art and things like that and they'll have shootouts with the cops mm-hmm. and uh you know long story short christian bale ends up stopping the injections and he starts to feel everyone's like he's feeling everything you know everyone's like, he's he's feeling he's oh, feeling gross. i don't know if they say feeling but <laughs> i know they're like he 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 feels or something like that it's it something like that yeah. that sounds exactly like THX 1130. Yeah. Like I've seen that as well. Also very good. Yeah. Reminds me of Brave New World. 
Have you read that? Oh, no, but I heard it's good. It is good. I haven't read it. There's a drug called Soma that they kind of use to sedate everyone. Like anytime you start to feel bad, just take some Soma. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And they like, they kind of, yeah, they just placate society by just kind of giving them whatever they could possibly want. Like just trying to make them happy all the time. So nobody has any reason to think about anything, really. Jason, the state is always right. Who are you to question the state? I, I'm, I'm not <laughs> one to question anything. Didn't we have an episode where we established that Jason hates America? <laughs> Did we? Oh, I just had a conversation at work today about something like that, too. <laughs> Talking about Native Americans. And... Anyway. So on the other side, the flip side of the dissidents the resistance you got the minister of the interior you know the government jails uh mr alexander the uh author on the excuse of his endangering alex the people rather than the government's uh totalitarian regime described by mr alexander it is unclear whether or not he has been harmed however the minister tells alex that the writer has been denied the ability to write and produce subversive material that is critical of the incumbent government meant to provoke political unrest. Cool. Mm-hmm. Sick. It Sick seemed like, um, <laughs> from what I read, uh, Anthony Burgess was kind of a big um, opponent of kind of behavioral psychology conditioning and whatnot. Um, I guess he discusses it in numerous books of his. Like it's a theme across many of his books. I mean, I haven't read a lot of his books. So I don't know. This is the only book I've read of his. Okay. I'm sorry. Did you mention some of his other works earlier? No, no, I didn't look anything else up. All right. Um, because, um, a behavior, you know, behaviorism or behavioral psychology, uh, was kind of brought forth by psychologists, John B. Watson and B.F. Skinner. Uh, Skinner had a book called Beyond Freedom and Dignity in 71, and Burgess called it one of the most dangerous books ever written. I guess in the book, although behaviorism's limitations were conceded by its principal founder, Watson, Skinner argued that behavior modification, specifically operant conditioning, learned behaviors you know, via systematic reward and punishment techniques, rather than the classical Watsonian conditioning, is the key to an ideal society. So the film's Ludovico technique is widely perceived as a parody of aversion therapy. So that's just basically what they're talking about when they say Ludovico. They're talking about this aversion therapy, which apparently at the time was kind of revolutionary and like this is this is going to bring us to the next level. Mm. This is going to bring society in the into the new millennium. We're going to have a utopia. Everyone's going to be pleasant with each other, but they'll just be fucking robots. Sounds yeah. boring. It's very boring. (laughs) Then Generation X happened. (laughs) And the millennials happened. Ah! (laughs) And now we're back to it. (laughs) What's the new, uh, what's after millennial? Uh, I forget what the name is. Because we're past millennial now. (laughs) Post-millennial. Bicentennial. (laughs) (laughs) I forget. (laughs) They're not old enough to be important yet. Um, I thought it was also child also interesting that uh, psychiatrist Aaron Stern, who was the former head of the MPAA rating board, uh, he believed that Alex represents man in his natural state, 
the, the unconscious mind. Alex becomes civilized after receiving his Ludovico cure and the sickness in the aftermath, uh, Stern considered to be neurosis imposed by society. Kubrick told film critics, Philip Strick and Penelope Houston, that he believed Alex makes no attempt to deceive himself or the audience as to his total corruption or wickedness. He is the very personification of evil. On the other hand, he has winning qualities, <laughs> his total candor, his wit, his intelligence, and his energy. These are attractive qualities and ones which I might add, which he shares with Richard III. So apparently Kubrick is like, he's not all back. I don't like what we're saying. Like, why do we like this piece of shit so much? Mm-hmm. This rapist murderer. But it's also, I mean, we, we talked about Daniel Plainview, but just think of the Joker, Heath Ledger. Yeah. People I pretty much idolize him, and he's just a maniacal murderer, madman. He's the anarchist. Mm-hmm. You know, he's Chaos. He's going balls to the walls, unlike what you think about sometimes, that well, type mm-hmm. of thing. That's a common, Alex is kind of doing that. He's grabbing yeah. life by the balls and just fucking doing whatever he wants. Or when he grabs those cops by the balls in that <laughs> interrogation room. <laughs> that was fucking funny. A lot of ball grabs in this one. <laughs> yeah. That, that charisma is uh, like a common trait of like sociopathic serial killers and cult leaders and stuff like that. Yeah, because they'll say whatever you know you want to hear uh, and things like that. But um, yeah, he's just super charismatic and does what he wants, and you know people gravitate to that type of you know personality. The psychological aspects interesting because Kubrick also studied studied a lot of subliminal messaging too in advertising god what was that before the shining or something like that or one of his movies and then he fit like i'd read he he did like in-depth research about subliminal messaging within just advertising and sales and shit like that so that he could incorporate in his movies so that you're being told a certain thing you don't even realize it so it's kind of Obviously, the psychology aspect's more in the frontier, but it's interesting. I heard that subliminal messaging was bullshit. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Smoke. <laughs> you smoking yet? <laughs> <laughs> Love that one, Family Guy. I don't know I think it. I think it works. And now they're. I mean, remember when people found that McDonald's subliminal ad in that? I think it was like a cooking show. Where there was some like cooking show, or it was a show on the like a QVC, like a shopping network. I don't know if they were like demonstrating pans. Like this pan works great for grilling and blah blah blah. But it was just like a show or a segment, and all of a sudden in the middle of it, you saw like just a flash of red. And they had put one frame of the it was the red background with McDonald's arches, you know, it said McDonald's, huh. and they spliced it into that segment. I can't remember what what show it was, but that was an example of that's a big fucking corporation in America, and they put just a subliminal advertisement in some random show, just one frame. Interesting. I wonder, I wonder what they paid for that. Reminds me of Fight Club when he mm-hmm. splices in the yeah. dick, yeah, <laughs> or when they splice in um, another anarchist. <laughs> yeah, when they splice in Brad Pitt in the different parts of the movie, yeah, just yeah. one frame yep. of him. Yep, I think they outlawed. Subliminal advertising. I think it's illegal, but like studies have shown that it it doesn't work because like it doesn't register. Yeah, like it's not there mm-hmm. long. Like if you do it too quick, like it won't even register with the viewer. Like they won't even see it. 
Yeah, they should have outlawed all I mean, the it other work psychological tricks and advertising that actually work, like telling people that they're pieces of shit if you don't buy the product. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would work for certain people, maybe people that are more. I think you'd apt have to for uh, what do you how do you want to say it uh, more perceptive to that type of influence because yeah. you might guess that those people watching that type of show might be more susceptible to that type of influence. Maybe. Overall, it's not very effective. <laughs> well, you don't think uh, smoking sales increase when stars are smoking cigarettes? That's not subliminal. That's not subliminal, though. Kind of. Subliminal is what you talked about earlier, where they just like have one, no. like they flash. No, subliminal doesn't have to be just like no. a flash of something. Subliminal could be something occurring that's not the focus of what's going on product placement isn't subliminal advertising no i didn't say that but i mean doing something that generates a thought subliminal is more than just splicing in a quick image Mm -hmm. i mean it can be different i don't know i don't know it in depth but it's not just that yeah but that's i'm not saying it works or it doesn't i don't know if it does that's the one anything that's what i was but that's what i was talking about though whether it's slicing it what what Mulder was explaining with the McDonald's yeah. thing. That's what oh, I was talking yeah. about. Well, so I looked up subliminal advertising. <laughs> the use of you want to speak up a little louder in the microphone. Sorry, <laughs> I'm starting to fall asleep. I'm getting late. Uh, the use by advertisers of images and sounds to influence consumers' responses without their being conscious of it. So, like, if they see an actor smoking in a movie, they're conscious that there's a cigarette there, and you know, they're conscious that it's. It could affect the way they're thinking about something, but the subliminal part, I think, is, like Brett was saying, when they're trying to put images or sounds or whatever into your brain without you even realizing that it's happening. Call bullshit on that. (laughs) No, it makes sense. It is bullshit. I I just said that it doesn't work. Oh. (laughs) Well, I was saying what he read was, no, forget it. It's on the internet, okay? I know yeah, what no, you're saying. Long. I know what you're saying, but I twisted it <laughs> so that it, it meant what I said it meant. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's I called manipulation. I think we're all getting a little tired. <laughs> Probably about time to wrap it up. Uh, what else do you guys want to add? Any more notes or things you wanted to touch on? Did anybody see a list of uh, things that have referenced this? Like we talked about the Simpsons and South Park. Like Rob Zombie did a whole, like, a whole song and music video that was basically just a tribute to this. I was going to say that I that's where I knew about Durango 95. Yeah. Before years before watching Clockwork Orange. Like I heard that song when it came out a bunch, but it wasn't until recently I saw the video I'm like, "Oh shit. This whole song is about a Clockwork Orange." Yeah. Cuz he talks about, you know, Durango 95 is a real horror show and ultra violent. Red Red Crewy. Yeah. Which is what Alex uses uh, as a term for blood in the movie. Yep. And then, like, the whole thing is him dressed like Alex and then, like, driving in the car and all that shit. Hmm. Um, but I know, like, there's been a whole bunch of other movies and TV shows, and either they they redo the Corova Milk Bar or they have somebody dressed as Alex or they... Mm-hmm. they One of the better, more recent ones I saw was uh, Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. You saw that movie? I haven't seen that one. And they're in there, they're high school kids, these two, Earl and the narrator, uh, and they remake movies, but they put a funny spin on it. 
So they remake a clockwork orange, but they called it a sockwork orange. And <laughs> it's got the real, it's got the same music to the intro, except it's a sock puppet with the eye and a little bowler's hat. And then a glass of milk comes up. <laughs> Fucking hilarious. Uh, it's like, be kind, rewind, but good, right? Right. <laughs> I was thinking, be somebody... kind, rewind is okay. Just, yeah, it, was, it, it could have been better. It wasn't that, way. It wasn't that yeah. good. Go on, Jason. I was just going to say, there there must have been a themed bar somewhere modeled after that milk bar, right? I'm sure. I'm sure you there's a bunch of them. That'd be awesome. I, I want to go drink there. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they have naked women that have dispensers in their breasts for I drinks. mean, you pretty much have to. That's You think it's only a quarter <laughs> there in the bars, too? Mm. Hello, Lucy. <laughs> Hard day. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> There's tables too. Yeah. I don't know. Other things you guys want to add? Oh, so you mentioned that real horror show thing. It was interesting how he was using that. Was is that in that uh, little glossary you have? Um, I don't think so. I closed it. Real horror show. Like it. I thought I it didn't seem consistent I, the way he was using it. I thought I looked it up and it's not in there. So I, I'm guessing maybe. It, yeah, there's like more of a descriptive word hmm. that people use at some point. I don't know. Because you use it, the Durango 95 purred away real horror show. Here. Let's... Oh, no, it's in here. Never mind. Uh, Yeah. Good, well, wonderful, excellent. Hmm. And it yeah. comes from a Russian word, meaning well and good, apparently. Horror show comes from a Russian word? I don't know. It looks like okay. Right. That's cool. It's probably just sounds like yeah, Russian. I think I'm gonna start using that and fuzzy warbles. Those are my favorites. <laughs> what about your blockos? That's where it comes from. Weird. What does your blockos mean? Horrorsho. <laughs> What's that? Your blockos. Your blockos. Oh yeah. Because dim, he's like fuzzy or uh, great. Bullshit, Yarblockos to you. Uh, it puts it in the same area as Yarbles. Yeah, testicles. Yeah. Mm. Comes from like, a Russian word for apple. Must be like bollocks or something. Otherwise, meaning apples. Otherwise, a different word meaning eggs. Yep, that makes sense. <laughs> in Spanish, huevos <laughs> means testicles and eggs. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, though. I mean... That's pretty impressive that he came up with what was a, that one. It, this is another word that kind of I don't hear yarbles in there, but yeah, uh, that's pretty impressive that he took English and Russian and then he created words that just sounded like those words. Yeah, like the Russian words is pretty. Uh, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And to think he cranked through writing that book. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna knock this book out real quick, but I want to create a new language. <laughs> <laughs> and then to be consistent with it and right not, not forget what stuff means definitely it, impressive mm-hmm. anything else no. gents no. No. but yeah I think that'll uh, that'll do it for us today please reach out to us email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com please 
rate and review. Subscribe, iTunes and Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at watch this underscore movie. And yeah, this is uh, it's one of our favorite movies, so we're pretty excited to get this out there. We're going to be doing a lot more heavy hitters in this coming year, I think. So yeah, be looking out for those breakdowns. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, we will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later. (laughs) Hey, man, you're off my case.